space for the season premiere. These are the reviews of the Hold Up podcast. It's continued exploration to watch three themed films, to suss out great ones through fun conversation, to hold up, possibly, what no one has held up before. Welcome to Hold Up, a movie podcast. Our theme tonight is space, and this is our season premiere, season two. I am your host, Devin, and with me as always, Chris Wilbine Murphy. How you doing, Murphy? Hey, <clears throat> season the, uh, two, time, away we go. The time off was most much needed. Uh, I felt like uh, we were locked in a capsule of space going on a long journey, um, but uh, I think it was worth it. I've mined some goodies. To Neptune? To Neptune and back we went. Uh, we watched a man uh, destroy a moon colony <laughs> for no reason. We watched uh, IT guys go to space and survive by the skin of their teeth. And then we yeah. watched a man look for his father I think he found. We sure it. did. Yeah, did. So it's going to be an interesting, an interesting exploration into all things space, and I'm excited to have our guest with us on this episode. A returning captain, if you will, Dave Mater. Well, th- well, thank you, sir. Thank you for the kind introduction. Glad to be back with you guys once again to talk about three more movies and see if we can find peace and tranquility and harmony out there in the outer reaches of space together. Let's hope so. I think it'll. This will be far less contentious than our last meeting. Um, <laughs> Political. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's fire right into it. Well, any opening thoughts on this? I'll say one thing. Here's my opening thoughts on this. So, obviously, I'm a with the intro there, and you guys know, and our listeners probably know, I'm a big Trek fan. So is so is Dave. Mm-hmm. So you would think. I would run out to go see space movies whenever they make space movies because space is my jam, but I don't. And by the end of uh, this podcast, I think we'll, we will have illustrated why. But I think the main thing I would say about that is that Star Trek is the best of all the space stuff. So like every space movie or space show I watch, it's like never as good as Star Trek. And it's just, it's usually a letdown. So... And there was a bit of that here for me. So I'm like, I'm watching it and like, I want to get right into the space adventures. And it's just kind of pales comparison to Star Trek. So, yeah, yeah. but I mean, that's like, you know, a LARPer saying they prefer Lord of the Rings over Viking mythology, you know? Well, I guess you have you have a certain like you have your favorite, your franchise, and I guess that maybe that's sort of what you're saying colors your um, your opinion on some of these other ones. Uh, I I think that like in, if like if I I also love Star Trek, of course, Davin, uh, and um, I do enjoy other properties in space. Like yeah, like Star Trek number one in my heart, but I doesn't mean I I don't enjoy the others. And I think that the one in this particular set of movies. Um, Apollo 13, the second movie for me was the most close to like a Star Trek feel and like the optimism and the, like the teamwork and the problem solving and these kinds of things that make space sort of like the final frontier and really interesting and provocative. And the other two are kind of space movies, but like kind of discuss, they're, they're kind of other things to me. Like they're more like 
one of these movies is a um, uh, a western, basically, mm -hmm. and the other is a Here just, comes to town. The other is a the other could even be a western, but it's more of a it's more of a like a, a, a movie with a guy chasing down his daddy issues. So yeah, like, that's what it is. It's a, like yeah, I got a lot to say about that movie, but right. well, that's in two or three. So. But in what terms of like the were? theme of space, you know, yeah. like I was sort of like not always I was not always like in sort of space mode, although there's always like these scenes in these movies that remind us like because people are dying or their heads are exploding decompression in space, very brutal, very dangerous to be in space. So there's always like this fear and intensity to these movies that I really enjoyed as well. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing for me, OK, so I love Star Trek as well, obviously. Um, I enjoy its ideal portrayal of what space exploration can be. Um, I enjoyed all three of these movies for various reasons. Um, <clears throat> one of them being, uh, with Outlander, this is the most probable, likely outcome. Outland. What space ex or Outland, yeah. I keep, I keep Not to be confused it. with Outlander. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, Outland, uh, I, 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 that is the most obvious, and I think... Um, outcome of what human space exploration will become some sort of mining operation that just kind of is like grimy and gritty um then uh obviously i loved apollo 13 again like dave said for the team aspect and, the, and it had that star trek spirit of like people coming together and it was it was like interesting if they just had a whole ship up there and they were all together it would go so much smoother but you know they're separated by technology in the 60s. And then, yeah, the last one was more or less, I enjoyed it because of the solo, the exploration of what uh, space travel can really do to the solo psyche and um, where, where it went with that. And, like, if you, you go that far, sure, but you're not, there's no guarantee you're not going to go crazy because it's probably a fairly realistic to a degree, um, exploration of extended space exploration, you know? Um, so I, I enjoyed those aspects of the, of the, these films and I don't really have a lot of bad thoughts about them in general. So yeah, well, I'm, I, I'm looking I, forward I, to breaking them down. I and also what better way to start on... October, you know, what better way to start the spooky month than with possibly what I could consider the scariest thing, space. Oh, I thought you were saying we we're starting the cold month with, month with the coldness of space he's kind of saying he's kind of saying that but yeah you know, yeah but, uh, uh, i disagree with you guys in one regard i think ad astra is probably actually the most like a star trek episode it's basically just like all good things like it's just ad astra uh, is is like yeah. it would be no, a very bad like, star rather, trek episode rather, if it was uh to me like no no is it is it all good things yeah like what's the one where q shows picard takes him back to his Tapestry, yes, tapestry. Yeah, it's like, like tapestry. tapestry. Yeah. It's like tapestry. It's but rather than like chasing his like own issues, he's chasing his daddy issues, his own like career issues. It's like it's like it's the same thing. I'm sure there's like other movies with the same basic plot of a guy chasing down his father's legend, you know, and he's sort of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but it's, it happens to be set on the backdrop of outer space and how like it's. I don't know. It's kind of a like a a futuristic look of what could happen with just human conflict, basically going into the stars as well in that movie. But I'm getting ahead of myself, but yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Star Trek, I wish like Nick Meyer or something had have directed 
Apollo 13 because it's more boring than it needed to be. Ron Howard, that was like a, that's one of his uh, first yeah. directorial movies. Yeah, you know, Ron Howard's kind of in that camp with like um, Rob Reiner and stuff where they can make good <laughs> movies. That's one of my but favorites. Like, but like they they can make some boring movies sometimes and like make things more boring than they need to be. Like I find they're not all about the cheap thrills. They're going for the drama yeah. and the and the emotions. They're going for like a certain uh, like they have this very nostalgic view of like the fifties. <laughs> like I think they both do, mm-hmm. and they kind of go for that feel with everything. Like the first half until they say, "Well, I'm getting ahead of myself with uh, Apollo 13," but until they say the words. Houston, we have a problem. It's a really boring movie. But then it gets good. Well, uh, I was pretty engaged just because Tom Hanks and... Uh, well, I, I am getting ahead of myself. Let's... In general... Yeah, they, in general, a lot of star power. They throw the star power. We launch off to the, the later uh, stages <laughs> of this episode. You're right. Let, theater let's, one. <laughs> let's get back to, to the launching base and get into theater one, shall we? Uh, All right. Theater one. Theater one. Outland from 1981, starring Sean Connery, Peter Boyle, Francis Sternhagen. I want to say them all like Sean Connery. Francis Sternhagen and James Seeking. Seeking? Directed by Peter Hyams. With the the Jerry Goldsmith score. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it there's good things about this movie. I mean, I, this was this movie was actually the first uh, DVD I ever bought. When DVDs became a thing, it was in one of the cheap DVD bins. And like, all right, I just got like a DVD player or something. Yeah, it was one of those terrible DVD players. But I remember seeing the like skip. cover art uh, like Video Quest often, and I thought we might have rented it and watched it. But on watching it, I'm like, I don't think I've actually seen this movie. Um, and I was, you know, I wasn't. It, it yeah, it's, it's a western that you know. For a western, I like it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a space western. Apparently, when they were actually like making this film, um, I didn't write this down as one of my morsels, but um, they it was, I guess, originally meant to be like a, um, a western film, but Alien was so popular that like, well, let's put uh, this in space. So they came up with the whole like jupiter and all that stuff and i'm like i think sean connery works better in a space western than a western western yeah Yeah. (laughs) maybe like (laughs) you think you want to see him walking into some western town hey everybody i'm the sheriff yeah like this movie okay like i and i i watched these movies in reverse so i watched this one last um and um i thought it was good I think I, I think I felt like I ended on a high note with this movie, although a lot this movie is very dated. This movie feels in some parts like it's a nineteen eighty one movie, like which is sort of this like transition period between the seventies and eighties style of movie making. So in some ways it's it's like I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, I can get right into this movie. But other times I'm like, oh yeah, it's 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 kind of another time. But as 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 Western in space I think it works pretty well. I think that the the the, the uh, compared to Logan's Run, which we watched when we were doing like the apocalyptic movies or whatever, uh, the Jerry Goldsmith score in this I think works a lot better than it did his did in that movie. Um, and I think that uh, this was um, 
I think an interesting character story, human story about a guy who just wants to prove that he's he's a good guy, you know. But it could have been told in any setting, right? But this happens to have people blow it; their heads are blowing up and decompression and uh, and other I did things. Like the decompression scenes and stuff like that. I, I was like, how many ways are people going to die by decompression in this scene? Turns out a lot. Um, and it and the other ways were uh, not by direct de- decompression, but by gunshots and or gunshots causing decompression so like, <laughs> okay cool <laughs> all right, all right yeah. fire it up Murphy. oh yeah the old trailer yeah let's crack that open launch off oh wait no that's a slide hang on whoops it's been a minute forgive me On the second moon of Jupiter, something deadly is happening. Pretty soon we'll see that this is just like every other mining town. I work these people hard, and I uh, I let them play hard. Never much trouble. We're all professionals. I'm sure we are. We've only been here two weeks. It'll get better, I promise. I got nothing more on that incident in the mine yesterday. It looks like some guy just went wacko. It happens here. How often? I don't know. It just happens here. Why? I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't tell you why. Some people just can't take it here after a while. No way it could have been homicide. <laughs> Had to have been a suicide. Yeah, I mean, that was the most obvious suicide in the world of suicides. <laughs> How do you know? How do you know? He had to open and lock How do you know? How do you know? Why are you talking about They just wanted a reason to have Sean Connery say suicide. You were going to get suicide to him. Something's there, isn't it? Maybe. Francis Sternhagen was awesome. She's a real interesting character, yeah. Bingo. Bingo. You're dead. That whole scene. They're showing us the whole movie. I know, they really are. But not in a good way. That's why they sent you here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. This is a really kind of poorly edited trailer. It even gives away that the, the uh, uh, deputy there is going to betray him and attack him, right? It's all super out of sequence. Like, it's very confusing. They would never make a trailer like that now. The ultimate enemy is still... Man. Wow. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, the trailer, I yeah, I don't think is as uh, good as the movie. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. No, I mean the movie was barely good on its own. To be fair, like. Um... 
Well, let's let, take it through it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's just let's just get into this. All right. So uh, yeah, Old Outland, nineteen eighty one, is a sci fi thriller film set in the distant future of the twenty one hundreds, where Federal Marshal William T. O'Neill, played by Sean Connery, is assigned to a one year tour of duty at the Con Am twenty seven, a titanium ore mining outpost on Jupiter's volcanic moon. Okay. Okay. I have a problem. I have a problem. In that trailer, <laughs> they said they had. They're on the second moon of Jupiter, but this just says here says they're on Io, which is in fact the first moon of Jupiter. The second moon of Jupiter being Europa, and the third being Ganymede, and then Callisto. You know, so I got a problem right away. Big goof. But, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you got to be impressed the fact that they got the uh, the the rings or whatever. Or uh, apparently, those were just discovered a few years prior to this film being made, so they ended up like putting that in. This movie only comes uh, ten years after the events of Apollo thirteen, and we saw in that movie that people had lost interest in space travel uh, at that point after the, mm-hmm. after the moon landing. So by this point, you could make anything up for them with these <laughs> moons. It's true. They, nobody's was. Uh, going to go, but I did think that this opening was very slow with all the computer captions and and in general, just watching like the computer screens in the movie. But I guess back then it was really new, seeing like something typed out on the screen. I guess, I might, you know. So yeah, I love all the old like high tech scenes in these old movies though, where it's always just somebody typing on a keyboard and waiting for the little green text to come back, and that's like their big high tech communication scene they're like watch they're they're chatting yeah. over all the all the, the 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 typewriter you know it was... chatting in almost real time with like letters and numbers it's amazing wow. it was it was <laughs> so uh this mining colony is located two hundred and seventy-five thousand miles from jupiter's gas surface and it's a challenging and dangerous place to work due to its harsh conditions yeah yeah uh these guys are like mining and this one dude ends up going mad crazy and imagine spiders and i I thought somebody cut his air tube apparently he cuts his own air tube yeah he cuts Um, his own air tube mm -hmm. but i swear i saw like a yellow jacket reach from i don't know i was expecting this to be some sort of like murder mystery thing and it, it did not go that way quickly nope um Yeah, yeah, like so, these scenes were kind of, like there. I guess they were kind of like just. It's kind of like shock horror. I guess is how you would sort of put it. It's not. It's not traditional horror, so but it's meant to be yeah, sort of no, gruesome and they, brutal. They, they, like his what he opened this and he basically his head exploded. At, did they show like that crazy scene where like his yeah, and then he like falls and you get all these like you know uh, projected sort of space falling scenes. Um, Anyway, the conditions on this place has become challenging because there's a deadly drug known as uh, polydichloric uh, euthamol, and and it's discovered in the uh, miners' bloodstreams. It basically turns out to be like this amphetamine-like substance. Um, it just basically allows them. Look, they like to have fun on a Friday night. They work hard, but they like to have some fun. You know, that's all it is. That's yeah. all it is. No need for Sean Connery. Sean Connery's the new sheriff in town. His wife and kid, uh, his wife doesn't seem to like it. 
And uh, he says, no. it's been two weeks. Give it a chance. And then the um, uh, common theme away. through these three movies is like when you're in space, you start to miss your family because you're far away from everything. That's a common theme. I think and you'll miss Earth, you know, I think is also yeah. a theme, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like space is kind of lonely and sad. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> it Unless sucks. you have an Enterprise D. It's yeah. pretty terrible. It's trying to kill you <laughs> all the time. Uh, it's, you know, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, yeah, basically, you just sort of like get the run that this whole mining company is just like desolate. Nobody's here for their health. They're all here for money. I hope they're getting paid well. Um, and they're just here to mine and, you know, get high and uh, do, do, do the local sex trade workers uh, that, that happen to be you know, living on the mine as well as the, uh, the host, uh, the man, the manager of the place likes to say they're very clean. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, all this, uh, this leads to, um, Sean Connery meeting, you know, uh, the doctor that's, uh, played by, uh, Francis, Francis Sternhagen. Uh, Sternhagen, uh, which I loved her name is actually Dr. Lazarus. I, th- I thought that was a great <laughs> name for a doctor. Um, I really enjoyed so, her character too. Like, has she ever been in anything else I've seen? I couldn't really place her uh, as somebody I knew, but yeah, I looked I her up and she's say... been in tons of stuff, but nothing that like jumps out is like, oh, I know her from that. Yeah. But she was really good in this. Her and Sean Connery uh, have a good di- uh, dynamic, although he does threaten to beat the shit out of her. Uh, like, early well, yeah, actually, so, so that's this is Sean Connery. Oh, that's okay, Sean... So, <laughs> hang on. All right. There's... There's context to that scene, and it was actually kind of the scene I picked as my favorite because I kind of made me laugh. Is she was saying earlier, like, take some aspirin or whatever, that's a doctor's joke. Um, and then I didn't get the whole thing because, like, time takes, but this led to, to what was my favorite scene. It happens here. The episode or movie. I don't know what just happens here. Why? I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't tell you why. Some people just can't take it here after a while. Did you do autopsies? No. Why not? In the first place, the company wanted the body shipped out quickly. In the second place, when a person exposes himself to zero-pressure atmosphere, there isn't a whole lot left to inspect. In the third place, you're becoming a nuisance. Yes, I know. I would like a report of all of these incidents that have happened during the past six months. I'd like it really soon. Or I might just kick your nasty ass all over this room. That's a Marshall joke because <laughs> it was a yeah. doctor joke before. Yeah, yeah, that it was, was like some good play. She she gives off like uh, Mash doctor vibes, you know. Like I'm watching an episode of Mash, and it's like um, I forget her name. She she was in the the show, the one with the blonde hair. Um, regardless, anyway. Um, so yeah, the, the whole mining call is administer Mark Shepard played by Peter Doyle is, uh, secretly running this drug ring in the corrupt Marshall Montone played by James B. Sickig, Sicking, Sickig, Sicking, 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 one table for Sicking, uh, is complicit in this operation as it increases production and keeps the corporate owners consolidated, algamated, satisfied. What a, what a just a, a pretentious business name consolidated amalgamated <laughs> conam conam uh yeah conam Con so Am, they're satisfied know. with you know the operation they're making all of their 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 means their their money through these guys who are just like cracked out there's this whole scene with this dude in the knife 
He's threatening to kill the girl. And Sean Connery's attempting to defuse it. But ultimately, the guy, like, the crooked his sheriff deputy. just kills him. His deputy yeah, he's like sheriff, him. but who's who's trying to cover it up like because he knows this guy is, is overdosing or whatever on the drug, going psychotic from it. Um, I lo- yeah, I love his way of diffusing it, though. He's like, look, I am coming in there. Yeah, but I am coming in. You that, that girl. I'm going to come in there and I'm going to kill you. If you right, and if you don't, we'll just talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's his way of diffusing it. Like he tries his <laughs> best, you know, but he also does send his partner around the other cor- the other way, and his partner yeah. kills him. Um, yeah, and he's trying, and then his yeah, his wife leaves him, and like there's like you know, but he's trying to do his job here, and we see that the mm-hmm. boss guy's kind of a jerk right off the bat he, like he's hostile towards him right from the beginning so i was with sean connery for most of this i was like sort of and and this doctor character really pulls you in i feel you know she's mm-hmm. she, yeah she's, oh their whole the whole analyzing of the drug scene i thought was ridiculous because they're literally just looking at like a bar graph and like a sine wave and they're <laughs> oh, just whatever. like it's just, no this is a, a chemical that's a, that's molecule a, no man it's just same within medicine man another great sean connery movie that's a gas <laughs> chromatograph and that's what it looks like they're peaks so they're looking at the different peaks, and based on those, she can tell what the chemical makeup is. I took her word right. for it. Gas uh, Oh yeah, the sex yeah, club. Can we talk about that? With like all the, the hard, the uh, the hard, like dry humping, what was going on? Whatever. It was just uh, a whole lot of uh, how can you put it? Uh, dirty, like cantina vibes, <laughs> but with only lit by two later lasers and tables. Um, you know, like the the overhead lasers were the big main attractions to give it that space vibe, and then everything else was underlit with tables. But I'm not gonna lie, I liked the lighting in this movie. Like, I thought it was really gorgeous, so I was enjoying every like scene that they were throwing at me. I was like, I'm down with this cinematography. Um, they basically only had to build like this one big set for the whole movie, right? And so they, uh, they kind yeah, of they did, had a I... couple different spots, but yeah, I think this is the biggest one that they would go back to. And also, like, I don't know if I got it in the screenshots, but you know, there's a couple times where he goes through the cantina, and there's a couple doors, and it's like the swinging doors, so it really emphasizes the western, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah like this could have been on a space station it didn't really matter right like this could have been said almost in any century you know it, it feels like a space movie but it also feels like just a classic western uh you know this one this one lone cop trying to sort of find himself in his soul and find justice um you know and sort of taking down the uh, evil establishment so uh mm-hmm. yeah basically as o'neill starts getting closer to finding all of all of the crooked corners of this mining operation uh, he ends up having a little conversation with his deputy, which is turns out to be both of your gentlemen's favorite scene uh, in this film. Don't want to tell me about it? Tell you about what? Shepard! What about him? How deep are you in? Not too deep. I'm paid to look the other way. I get it. You don't do anything bad, you just don't do anything good, right? I'm gonna bust Shepard. Are you serious? Yes. This is no place for heroes. You try to bust him, (laughs) you're messing with more than you think. Ah! 
You're talking about the general manager. He's a real hotshot with a company. That's not the scene I meant, though. But I do like that scene as well. Um, I was talking about the scene where he's talking to the doctor in the squash court later on. You know? Like, when they're sitting down and they're waiting for the assassins to come, basically. And she's like, why are you oh, doing this? Oh, you mean that scene, right? Yeah, that's the one I meant. But that's, they're both good. Um, I, this whole movie, too, like, Sean Connery as the cop. I, and I, it has, that, like, that felt like the Untouchables, you know, his character in that. Where he's like, you know, they come with a knife, you come back with a gun. You know, that's the Chicago <laughs> way. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, he's like, he's just a cop trying to take down the crooked system, Al Capone. And, uh, all this kind of stuff. I was like, I was into it, you know. But he's like a younger Sean Connery. Like in that movie, in, in Untouchables, he's like he feels like this old, this older guy. In this, he's like middle aged more, and so it's kind of like not quite James Bond Sean Connery, but it's not quite uh, Indiana Jones's dad Sean Connery either. Mm. So I think it was my favorite scene because one, I think it's it makes sense for squash to become a more popular sport in space because all you need is a tiny room. And so I thought that was interesting because that makes sense. The golf too. It, that they have and, it, and, it, and it also reminds me of like Janeway and Seven of Nine playing Velocity and like having arguments and stuff. It was very much like that scene from Voyager. So I thought right. that was pretty cool too. And uh, yeah, I just I always remembered those because I watched this a long time ago. The squash scenes. Yeah, still like them. Uh, He's just like, good. yeah, keep taking your money. Keep taking your money. You keep. Uh, he's like, are you gonna take me down? He's like, I don't want you. I don't want to take down uh, whatever his yeah. name was, um, Shepard. I'm gonna bust Shepard. I'm gonna bust Shepard. You come back with a gun. You come back with a knife. The Chicago way. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, O'Neill's basically getting the help with the uh, help of Doctor Lazarus. They start investigating investigating the deaths and drug drug distribution. Um, they uncover the drug ring, but when Shepard informs his corporate contact about O'Neill's interference, the company sends hitmen to eliminate him. And then the film starts taking like a high noon scenario as O'Neill waits for the assassins to arrive with most of the colony's inhabitants just kind of too fearful to help him. You know, he's like, anyone want to help? And they're just like, yeah, no, I'm good. Did you guys buy this that nobody was willing to help him? Not even his own cops? Yes, I would buy that. Because like well, he told he told his but his partner not to. Like I I kept thinking like there's no way his character is going to survive this story, right? Like there's no <laughs> way he's going to live to the end. Somehow he's going to end up dying, right? But no, he he gets out and he goes home. Yeah, you know it's a happy ending sort of, right? So uh, mm. it's it he it, it, he, he rides he, back he, out of town, rides, rides into, into, town, into rides the sunset, out of town. yeah, like yeah. and uh, to meet up with his wife and kid who are you know already ahead in the you know so. Um, yeah, this this is the scene uh, that I really liked, where he was like, "I, you know, I, they sent me here because they thought I would probably go along with this, and I want to prove that I, I'm not what they thought. Uh, you can't predict. I like it's also about individuality and choice and choosing to, you know, uh, do something different. You know, not what people expect of you, and and do the right thing. And so I I, I was I like that sort of underlying just theme of the movie and what mm-hmm. and sort of what the the result that they they try to present here right because it's not just a tragedy you know it's like a redemption yeah, he's story. trying to re- yeah he's trying to redeem his personal character right people think nothing of him that's why they sent him to friggin net or uh, jupiter he's like well maybe you know what i'm not shouldn't be sent to friggin jupiter <laughs> maybe not yeah 
Yeah. But even the boss guy, the villain, he's like, they would have sent you here because you're like, you did, you're not like the cream of the crop, you know? You're <laughs> like something's yeah. up with you. We never really get the, the backstory. We don't get that. But no. there's there's definitely like a dark backstory, or at least like a bunch of failures or something. But yeah, an insinuation. Like there's a handful of like decent sort of um Um, sorry. Um, uh, moving on. I found it interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what happened. Cool. Sorry, my headset disconnected. Uh, yeah, I thought I heard myself echo. echo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. <laughs> hello hello yeah. what the fuck is happening right now i don't know is anybody there i am <laughs> this is fun playing that goes through murphy ecto come on murphy <laughs> pull it together yeah oh that's why we you can plug them um... in Anyway, uh, as I was saying, there was a whole scene where, you know, these assassins are arriving to the colony, and you get this scene where it, 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 you, they join, they arrive early, it's really high tense, and it seems like a, an army of 50 of them walk off the ship, and then it just turns out to be these two assholes. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it. These are the best! Okay. They're and the then best. It turns into They're the Sean best. Connery dispatching these two assholes. There's like the one, like everyone in this movie has trucker hats. The guy, there's the guy with the red trucker hat. There's the guy with like the Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. Um, and they kind of go around <laughs> with their little, their little baggies of like uh, assassin rifles. Um, not once does uh, <laughs> Peter Boyle's character try to kill Sean Connery himself, or send, or send, I guess he tries nope. to get one of his goons to do it at one point, but um, one of his, one of the criminals he had employed, um, but he yeah. was out of the picture. Uh, so, because everyone gets killed, so I was just like, I was expecting more teeth from that. But it, once these two guys go, and then it's like the cop, his, his other deputy, his second deputy, who betrays him, uh, mm. which we kind of see coming, you know. Uh, so I don't know. Like the the doctor ends up helping to uh, save the day. Well, Murphy's gone; he's working his thing. And then um, you know, there's a lot yeah, of I action. can move us through. But I yeah. really this 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 movie could have been like half an hour shorter. Yeah, a lot of the scenes were longer than they needed to be. Like even the scene with like the crazy guy, like they, they seemed like they were standing outside his door for like a couple minutes <laughs> before they did anything. Yeah, that was it. that's even one of the more interesting scenes. But there's just a lot yeah. of like time. Like there's this countdown for like these assassins to show up on the shuttle. You know, yeah. it's like 50 hours. You want to get drunk? Sure. Like, there's just a lot of um, <laughs> them sort of waiting for things to happen. And there then uh, there he is waiting. Yeah. There's the guy with the red hat. It's a lot yeah. of shotguns in this movie. Yep. Uh, Very you know. Western, I guess. Well, no, not quite Western, I guess. Well, but... yeah. It was just like, um, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense in space. Okay. No. You want to puncture in the hole. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. There's a good doctor. Yeah, she yeah. makes it through the movie too. Yep. Everybody and it's not a romance does. between them too, which I liked. It was just like they were just friends. 
Yeah, exactly. There wasn't time for that. She wasn't young. And he was married. Sean Connery. Yeah. All right, go. You can take over the slides there, Murphy. I was just flipping through while you were gone. Um. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are saying while I disappeared there, but uh, basically, yeah, the Sean Connery takes out these assassins through various decompressive ways, um, <laughs> ru- ruins the entire greenhouse supply for this space station. Okay. Um, well, technically, the bad guy does it. Yeah, but I mean, he sort of like sets him off. You know, he 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 leads him in the trap. He's like, if I throw this, that'll distract him, and he'll like, shoot it at me, and then destroy all of the food supply for these people, all in an effort to capture this man. Um, kills these two assassins, gets through the process, walks up to the manager, and then just like punches him in the face, and he's like, says fuck <laughs> it, and then walks away, and then he writes a letter. He's like, you know, job done. To my dear Neil, Carol, I'm on my way home. Keep the ticket warm. Kisses, job done. It's like kisses, love, love. Bye, bye. Yeah, See you like... in a year. Killed the assassins. And I'm I'm sorry, but after watching that, I was like, sorry, sir. What job was done? Who? Yeah. Who came to I'm justice? Not... Yeah. If I'm not correct, you just killed multiple people on this station destroyed a food supply in fact the moment you came onto the ship chaos happened and you well maybe not the moment but things were going down but still, all the same you are uh, not not only did he he kill this food supply he shut down the drug supply now all of these people as the doctor said earlier in their film are going to go through mad withdrawal and we've seen the effects of the withdrawal of this mega drug um it's not good not a good scene this was the wildest horror film I ever watched, and Sean Connery is the most unexpected slasher I ever seen. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's pretty funny because he just walks in, destabilizes a community, and then leaves. It's like it's a total dereliction yeah. of duty. Like he, who, who took over after job. he was gone? Like I was the even job clear is on. not done. The he manager was... just got a concussion, and he wakes up and continues his business. He's out a couple lackeys. Like, what, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I wasn't. I, I thought that the punch was sort of like lazy, and I thought like you guys could. You had time in this movie to like have him arrested and like show him brought yeah. to justice or something like that. But they they really rushed the ending, and and you, again, I was like shocked he lives. I was like, oh okay. Well, I guess he yeah he gets to go off and write this letter on the screen. Like the direction in this movie was like the overuse of like the the computer typing. I thought was just mm. a choice that is very seventies. Yeah, but it's nineteen eighty one, right? So it's even yeah. uh, a, a relic of that point. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a movie. Which performance would you hold up for me? It's uh, Francis uh, Sternhagen, the doctor. He was good. For uh, me? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say Sternhagen, too. She she held it together. I mean, Connor is doing a right job, but the one mm-hmm. the one performance that did not hold up, at, like, whatsoever, was the damn kid. The kid. No, he was the worst. <laughs> the worst <laughs> kid. Worst kid I've ever seen in a movie. Like, I've got braces and just, like, completely oblivious to, like life it seems i don't know dude that, that was kind of the point that he's never been to earth so he's like this like sort of really sad case of a kid who's just like what's happening dad 
you know was uh and the scene where he had to talk to him over like the the computer monitor like over the i was just like this is painful like sean connery <laughs> is, tr- is trying to act himself out of the scene but he knows he's working with nothing and- <laughs> to a video recording yeah, but I, so I would hold up Sean Connery uh, as a performance. Sean Connery probably kicked that kid after the cameras turned off. <laughs> he threatened to punch him earlier on. He's like, he's a little bit of teeth. He's like, you'll be missing a few in a second if you don't stop it. Yeah, I've been backhanded by a Scotsman. Yeah, you're going back, to backhand you right now. <laughs> give me the last word. So uh, The setting aesthetic. I mean, I like it. I like these kind of old, dirty looking, like kind of like alien, these dirty mining kind of space movies they all look kind of gritty but real and i like the bunks like all all of like the uh like the barracks showing how like close quarters they were they just have like a bed and then they can like kind of pull curtains but there's almost like sean connery has like his own place but most Mm -hmm. of the the workers are living very um poorly like and they're apparently being paid well but it's it's very harsh work Uh, not not a luxury uh, nobody said everyone says there it's a hell like nobody wants to be there unless they have to be yeah, it doesn't sound like people are doing short terms of work by any means. And I mean, um, yeah, I, I loved the design of everything from shot to shot. I mean, some of the outside space shots could have used a bit of smoothing, a bit of work maybe. Um, the graphic design was weird. I did like the font and stuff. But yeah, it was uh, it's the same movie I, I enjoy the look of, but it was a lot of it's like going to a restaurant and you want to pick this thing and the image looks good, but what you get is kind of like not what that is. That's what this movie felt like because it was so, uh, how do you put it? Empty. <laughs> it felt empty by the end. Well, of you know what else is empty, Murphy? My tummy. So, so you want some movie morsels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, movie morsels for Outland 1981. Uh, we have Sean Connery losing a, a major extended cameo role in Chariots of Fire from 1981 because this movie went over schedule. Um, as I kind of did mention earlier, I guess I did put this movie morsel in. The script was originally intended to be a set in a Western period, but writer-director Peter Himes uh, decided to move it to outer space due to the influence of Alien from 1979. The original title was Io, but Himes was persuaded to change the title by an executive from the Lad Company following a demonstration on random people, which showed that many would read the title as number 10 instead which this movie is not. It is not a 10 out of 10. Uh, The first movie to use the intro vision front projection process, which allowed an actor, actress, or other live action element to be sandwiched by a projected background and foreground element all in the same shot. Um, Throughout the movie, Sean Connery's character name patch on his uniform changes spelling from O'Neill to O'Neill. The I and E would keep switching. Gene Hackman, James Brolin, and Clint Eastwood were considered for the role of Marshal William T. O'Neill. Oh, they made the right choice. Yeah. Uh, the, the role of Dr. Lazarus was first offered to uh, Colleen Dewhurst, who I'm not con- too, too familiar with. Um, this film is centered around the fictional th- synthetic and amphetamine drug. 
polydichloric euthamol in the 1991 film Terminator 2 Judgment Day. The words polychloric euthamol are seen on small yellow barrels of explosives. So that means these people were just doing drugs with the explosives. And yeah, final one. Over the years, fans have formulated a theory that this film could very well be set in the same universe as Alien due to many similarities. Both were presented by Alan Ladd Jr., who greenlit Alien as president of the 20th Century Fox and Outland as head of the Ladd Company, and scored by Jerry Goldsmith. Nine department heads involved in production design worked in both movies. Each movie features a huge conglomerate that deals in interstellar mining and transport, is colloquially known as the company, and operates with little regard to the safety or well-being of its employees both movies feature a very similar production design that presents a used future where structures and technology don't look state-of-the-art but worn out and visibly aged both movies have a protagonist who uncovers a company conspiracy after which attempts are made to silence them they are finally let left defending themselves completely on their own uh neither movie is set in a specific year although alien was retroactively set in 21 22 so they could take place in the same time frame lastly the character kane in outland could be homage to kane john hurt from alien uh, cinematography Ooh. by stephen goldblatt edited by Stuart baird, baird uh, music by jerry goldsmith release date 20 20- of May 1981, running time of 109 minutes with a budget of $18 million estimated and a box office of 17 to $20 million. What was the budget? Uh, roughly $18 million estimated. So th- this was kind of a flop then, right? It sounds yeah, like this, mm. was, this was a flop. Uh, no money was made. People were sad. I found it in the cheap bin. Hmm. It was like hard to find on rental. Like I like I had to sc- like, the only you could like uh, rent it for like or buy it. On most streaming platforms, it wasn't like uh, in any packaged uh, bundles that I, I saw. So it was kind of an interesting uh, forgotten movie. I was told that this was a good science fiction space movie uh, worth seeing. And I'm not sad I saw this movie. Nope. But would I rewatch it? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I, would... I have more than a few times. Um... I think I would only so watch this if I wanted to... Um like study or get examples for imagery if i wanted to like produce my own space something i would probably like jump back to this movie to be like i like that shot i liked how they did that i might borrow this you know stuff like that um would i watch it out of leisure though i don't think so it's a pretty i'm not a big sean connery film fan there's not a lot of film season that i'm like big on um which is you know which is funny i've seen a lot of films he's in so it's just every time it's like well there's sean connery again like it's just he has this inability to portray a character that i see beyond sean connery it's he's a movie star this is a a big movie you know it uh, it, you know it's it's meant to sort of just be you know have fun with it does it hold up no I'm bo- I'm on the border here. Like it's, it's Me too. um, it it's sort of yes and no. Like it's definitely dated. It's but it's sort of like if you could take out like a few like if you could you could edit this down if you were to like retroactively like put in good special effects and uh, and and and, and pick, pick up the pace of the runtime of this the movie whole third act. Um, third act, but at least the ending. Like... The ending, like the fight with like the the two guys in the spacesuits, it is not great. 
Um, so I would say, like, I don't know how you could fix that part, but I say, like, this, this simulate this. But like, just like the, the the people talking to each other, like the stuff that was just the acting, like I thought it was fine. So I, I did, it, I did. We did, we kind of skipped over this, but I did really like the um, the prison where they where they caught the guy and they right. put him in like the zero G space suit and he's just stuck in a zero G prison and they're like, <laughs> have fun sleeping in that all night. I'll come talk to you in the morning. Nobody touch him. Yeah, make sure, goes no, near no, make sure no one kills him and then he's dully dead. Yeah, the next morning his mm. lines cut and the blood's dripping up. I was like, these that was really well done. I wish that whole scene could have been played out more. I wish we could have gotten him being like, I'll tell you whatever you want. And then they killed him or something. That would have been great. Uh, but that's where the movie started also following apart for me because he immediately knows the one person he told not to let anyone near has just let people near and killed the guys. So like he he starts like you can't trust him and I think he still goes along with it for a bit. I don't know. I, I, I it kind of falls apart. But I'll, at the end of the day, he he's he just destroys this whole colony and fucks fucks the day. And then he saves like, them. Job, he sa- job he saves the day. He the, he takes no. a corrupt system. He's a uh, 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 he's looking for justice. He didn't t- take down a corrupt <laughs> system. He interrupted a, a drug supply. He destroyed a food supply. He killed two assassins, and he got several other people killed for meddling. That's um, the Chicago way. That's how that's, you do it. It's 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 way. <laughs> um, so I I. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna say it does hold up because. It look, as far as westerns go, it's probably one of my favorite. It's a it's a fun space western. I'll give it that. There are fun moments, yeah. and there are moments that look cool, and like the exploding heads are cool. There are moments that are cool, but like it's at the core a very empty mo- movie. Just getting to these like really cool moments, and then it's just at the end. There's no. It's like what is that? What there's no justice. There's no resolution. There's just Sean Connery coming in to fuck up this colony and saying good job, and that's stuck in my craw yeah. too much he, for me to he, say it holds up. Here's here's it's a, like I'm, he just needed a plus on his resume. He just needed like one thing, <laughs> like one like a couple hours of charity, uh, community service or something. He's just like, and they didn't give a shit anymore. He's just like, all right. Just, here's he where tried, I'm like. Okay, go ahead. Dude. Here's where I'm yeah. landing on it. Like, if you were, if this was the Western episode, if we were talking about three Westerns here and this was in the mix and you asked me if it held up, I would say yes, this holds up as a great Western. Mm. You have an unconventional Western in space. But under yeah. the space theme, I would say it does oh. not hold up. So, uh, 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 that's not the criteria. That's how I'm going to judge it. And no, 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 no. no. Each movie be judged for what it is. Like, that's, I don't want you to skew your, like, enjoyment of a movie based on the theme we chose the theme is just a loose thread for picking movies that's how i'm rolling it's too much on the theme no it does not hold up final answer well you never understand my format steve (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's move on then the second stage theater two Apollo 13 from 2005, starring uh, Thomas Hanks, a young, uh, relatively obscure, unknown actor. Um, the the Pax, Bill Paxton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin 
uh, Canadian Bacon and yes. Gary Sinise, Lieutenant Dan. This is another uh, Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise joint. Fresh another off of, film uh, where Forrest Gary Gump. Sinise gets cut off at the knees. It says 2005, but it's actually 1995 in our little crawl there. Oh, did I write 2005? My bad. Hold on. I'm going to change that. Did I even say 2005 out loud? Like no, a fool. Maybe he did. I, don't, I can't remember. Or I just was noticing. I'm like, oh, this was definitely 95. Yeah. Good yeah. good catch there. 1995. Yes, I remember seeing it when it came out. I think I may have seen it in theater. Um, but yeah. What about you, Chris? So, Had you seen this before? I did see this before. I don't know if I saw it in theaters or I watched it on my couch with my grandfather. I think he was in his rocking chair. I was on the couch, sort of deal. Uh, he, uh, yeah, I definitely saw this film before, though, because I love space and like I gravitate towards these movies generally all the time. So it was uh, high on my books uh, at the time it had come out, um, and I enjoyed it. But I was also like a bit of a snooze fest, you know, documentary style. Mm-hmm. Ron Howard and then true story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true story, mm-hmm. you know. You know, the guys, the, the main cast do really good jobs of, like, keeping you entertained with their performances. And if it wasn't for that main cast, this movie would not be as good. But in no. general, when it comes to Ron Howard films, I always find myself a little bland. Bored. I find them a little bland. And yeah. out of all of Ron Howard's films, this is his best film by far. But there are moments when I'm like, this is a little mm-hmm. bland. But you mm-hmm. know, I was all right. I, I they weren't they weren't intolerable. They were moments I'm like, this is servable. There, he's he's definitely as you said earlier, Dave. The there, yeah, I think it was you, Dave, where he just sort of uh, glamorizes the fifties. Well, Gavin said that. Yeah, yeah. He, he he's from Happy Days. How can you blame him? Yeah, you know? exactly. If, but it it feels like that. It feels like Happy Days. Space movie. Space movie. It's a nostalgic movie for the space program of the 60s and for the moon landing and for the um, what, what it's been lost because the movie is also kind of about how budget cuts kind of really killed the, the space program. And the movie's a lot about that, too. And I think that um, there was there was in the attempt to kind of get the resurgence into the space program. This movie is a kind of a message film in some ways uh, at the time, you know, to sort of uh, bring back that, you know. I feel like it's a it was a death note to the space program too, in a sense that like this film <laughs> reminded everyone of their failures. Yes, <laughs> to jump on top of like really expanding more, and it all just sort of cooled down, and now it's become a billionaire's game, and it's sort of getting back up there. But we're not. We're not well, going remember that time we screwed up going to the moon, invest in the space program. Well, also <laughs> that like we see the movie starts on the on the actual moon landing sixty nine, and yeah. uh, it, then it's like they oh we beat the Russians, so who cares anymore? Like it's over, the fight, the, the race is over. So um, and and that's what kind of what seemed to have happened. Like why spend all this money trying to get to something we've already done? Uh, but they you know I watched that show, the Earth to the Moon. Um, 
and uh, not the Oath. Well, that too. But I was uh, they also that show that uh, Ronald D. Moore does now called um, For All Mankind, which is about the an alternate yeah. timeline space program where the Russians get to the moon first, and the space race doesn't end; it keeps going and going and going. And therefore, it's an alternate history where the you know space program is completely different. So, watching this movie, I was like after having watched that show, I was like, Oh, okay. I understand what I like the limb is. And, uh, this, I actually really enjoyed watching this movie after having seen that, uh, a couple of years of that show on, um, I guess it's on Apple TV, that show. Um, uh, but yeah, like I was like, Oh, okay. Like that's how this worked and, and why, how, how, how in our, our timeline. Yeah. Like everyone sort of like, eh, space, we, you know, but getting to the moon is this incredibly hard, difficult, amazing thing to do every time. The fact that, you know, these guys even got back alive on this mission was amazing. You know, it took like all of the smart guys. It's showing how science engineering, uh, t- you know, uh, know-how is so important uh, and what and what this, this, uh, what was really good about the space program. Not just like going to the moon or, you know, being the Russians or anything like that. It was sort of about what the amazing things we can achieve you know as yeah, people my, required my achieve. favorite things my favorite things about this movie are like those elements those science elements like when they're just like they throw all the, the pieces of shit on the table they're like make them a filter there's like like here's your filter they're like this they're like yeah yeah it works like yeah. <laughs> like yeah, but my opening thoughts on this movie were it wasn't as good as i remembered um I don't know if that's a bit of the hold up element, maybe, but um, and it it left me wanting almost like there were good performances, but I almost feel like you could definitely change the director and even the main cast and probably make a better version of this movie. But they were two biggest stars. Like I don't like having one big star in a movie is not that distracting, but having like every character that you're supposed to feel grounded in this world of this movie, have them all being big superstars, it starts to feel like Southland Tales. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just famous people thrown in Throwback. everywhere, and it's Callback. it's a bit much. But like in these types of movies, these actors want to be in these movies a lot of the times and that sort of thing. But I don't know. It's not the one who plays uh, Tom Hanks's wife. She, I never saw her really in anything else, and she was really good no. in this movie. Uh, she's she. Oh, um, who else did I like? Uh, what's his name? Ed Harris is in this as well. I Ed Harris, he's 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 really good. Uh, he's kind of like a great. Good in everything. He got nominated for an Oscar for this. Um, you know, yeah, uh, he's good. Lost to Kevin Spacey from you know Usual Suspects or whatever, but there's some strong films that year. Um, you know, I think that this cat, like, really, what pulls this movie together for me is the score. The music in this movie is really really strong under James Horner, who also. Uh, scored Braveheart in the same year. He was nominated for the Oscar twice and lost twice Easy. to to some Italian movie or something. Um, you know, in in the ninety five, but he, I, he he canceled his votes out. Uh, but he you know, the, and he also did like the Wrath of Khan score. Uh, he's one of my all time favorite. Uh, he did like break, um, Titanic later on after this. You know, so like uh, and he's, can all be hits. Well, yeah, he had, <laughs> he, had, he, had, he had some amazing cinematic uh, uh, contributions uh, to music, right? With music mm-hmm. in, in the in the films, and this movie, I think, uh, mostly hits your heart. Tom Hanks really strong. Yes, they're all big stars, and you have to sort of like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, they're playing these astronaut guys and whatever. And so the 
uh, they're not top because coming right off of Forrest Gump, I remember when this movie came out, it was all about like, well, Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise were reunited only after a year after Forrest Gump. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and here they're playing very different characters and a very different dynamic in this film. But uh, I think they were trying to maybe move past Forrest Gump, which was such a huge phenomenal movie uh phenomenon in its time back in like, the previous year which tom hanks had won the oscar for as well um you know um you know this was like he was riding high off philadelphia like this these were this was a movie this was a movie stars movie and and i think ron howard i think was the big like new thing and i agree his his style is sort of boring to me i don't think i'm a, i would say ron howard's movies i would hold up as like the great um set of director's movies and i agree that this is maybe his best movie um of all of them because it had some really innovation thing like all the like the 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 no gravity scenes which were filmed apparently mostly in airplanes that were just doing like these big dives they get a few Mm. seconds of weightlessness and they just get a couple shots here you know over and over again like that's most of that is a practical uh special effects pretty great you know yeah, uh, it, was, it was a staple blockbuster film of 95. Like, I remember the, all the hype going around because of them talking about how they r- rode the Vomit Comet and, and took those trips to get the short bursts of film. And you can tell they don't, they use that sparingly in the film, but it's just enough to make you believe, like, oh, yeah, these guys are just, like, hanging on by the seat of their pants in this little containers, container out in space that's, like, broken you know right and i will say too i i kind of prefer like burbs era tom hanks i found i find tom hanks in his later career he he's just like he's a very good actor but he's almost like he's always just doing very good acting all the time like it's like it feels a little like not grounded sometimes he's just like yep that's tom hanks doing some very good acting ron howard's just like okay tom just be tom hanks like yeah, you know, just, just be, like yeah like don't try to be level oh, don't be a mcmethod here don't be like forrest gump like really into the role just be tom hanks that's people yeah. are coming to see a big a tentpole movie this summer it's apollo 13 you know and you and uh, and that's basically what he gives here most of these actors give like they're not really going super into character for the most like, part but like even castaway i can't really get into that guy's plight because it's tom hanks the whole time and it never feels like a guy on an island it feels like tom hanks doing some very good acting like i don't know there's a disconnect there well, that's the thing like like era, all tom these hanks. big movie stars whether it's harrison ford tom cruise whoever right you mm-hmm. know like after a while you're just like well that's the movie star i know i'm watching a movie because i'm looking at a movie star yeah uh, so unknown actors can sort of or um relatively unknown at least can sort of give you that or if you're gary oldman doesn't matter he'll always make doesn't you believe he, he'll make you believe he's anybody so yeah or maybe you won't know and then later on you'll be like oh that was gary oldman yeah sometimes i don't know i was like oh that was gary oldman okay that's it like that's a true actor you know oh, yeah. there's actors and then there are movie stars and sometimes yeah, they're the same agreed. but sometimes they're not and then right. you hear a cut and you hear thanks gary and that's when you revealed you are gary oldman Right. Depending <laughs> on how many prosthetics he has on. Um, Who right, directed so, didn't even know? That was Gary Oldman? Let's, uh, let's watch <laughs> this, this movie. Let's, let's get refreshed <laughs> on this movie of Apollo 13. Yep. 13's an unlucky number to name an Apollo after. Or yeah. it's lucky yeah. in some people's eyes. You never know. <laughs> yeah. On the thirteenth day of the thirteenth hour. Yeah, I already hate this opening. 
This trailer's not winning me over either. Was launched. No, it really is. All right. Well, the number 13, I get it. A million things could have gone wrong. See Tom, Our you see Tom Hanks, you see Kevin from the surface of the moon. On April 13th. See, that's how they're doing this scene, so I don't even know. Maybe it's just the filter Murphy put over it, but it's more grainy. And to uh, me, that almost makes a it a little better. The movie came out on April 13th. Houston, we are venting something out into space. It's definitely a gas of some sort. This is Houston, say again, please. It must be the oxygen. You see what I see? Fight. Their heart rates are skyrocketing. We have a 401 alarm. That can't be real. Uh, Man, it is fighting me. Jack, what's the story here? I, I, I keep losing radio signal. That can't happen. It's got to be instrumentation. And we got some serious time pressure here. Max. We're looking at less than 15 minutes Max. of live support left. Like they're all over the place. Damn, we're losing it. Definitely. Well, never lost an American space. We're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. There we go. Thirteen. That's a better trailer than, than the Outland trailer. <laughs> I mean, so. give me a movie about an Apollo that doesn't suck. Am I right? Am I right? Um, <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, you know, I get somewhere. No. I, I I didn't know necessarily know the story of Apollo thirteen until I saw this movie uh, because, of course, I wasn't alive when the Same. original events yeah. happened. So, um, you know, and uh, I of course had heard of the moon landing. Uh, but uh, this was sort of an educational film at the time, brought a lot of awareness to it. I, my favorite moment in this film uh, was that Jody Simpson Apollo 13 is the only movie directed by Ron Howard that has good pacing. The pacing of his other movies, though, most are good. The pacing is terrible. Um, Hence yeah. the boring moments, and they oh, you can feel bored a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, the one of the moments I, I enjoyed... Uh, I guess I, I probably should have picked it for my scene that held up, but I think I ended up picking something different. I did. Uh, the one that I would I would have picked was when they were like arguing about something space related, and one of the engineers go, "Well, we didn't plan for this," and I'm like, "Well, I'm sure you guys plan for this now." <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like you probably should have planned for something like this, but hey, I'm sure you're planning for it now. You know, it's it's just, it's just if it gave the whole thing like a bunch of IT nerds were just like, "I think we got this." Well, physicists. Oh, there's problems. And... There's problems, you know. Um, I know, I know. Physicists and engineers and super smart science people, and rocket and stuff. But I'm just trying to make jokes. Yeah, I like I that think... one guy though. He's like freaking out so much about like how his engine's not designed to do what they wanted to do, and just like, look, I'm, I know, I know, um, but I'm just telling you. I'm just I telling just, you. I, I don't know what will happen. And eventually, Ed Harris is like, look, man, it's not your ass if it doesn't work. Okay, he's just like, oh, you... oh, cool. oh okay. well, then in that in that case, I'll go get a coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it works, he's just like, see, told you it would work. Like, yeah. That guy was awesome. <laughs> that was a good little bit uh, that they threw in. Um, Ron Howard's brother, Clint Howard, also in the movie, has yeah. a couple of gags in the movie. Longtime Star Trek alumnus, uh, Clint Howard, uh, always playing Star, TV, the Ron Howard film, Gentle Ben. There you go. Yeah, like go going way back to original series Star Trek. You know, apparently uh, there's a Ron Howard film Tron, called Grand Theft Tron, Auto yeah. that was written by Ron Howard, directed by Ron Howard, and starring Ron Howard and Clint Howard has like a, a, a and I I saw that. Ron Howard's dad in this movie who um, oh, really? because he plays John Sheridan's dad in Babylon Five, and I know him from that. 
right like randomly and i was just like that's john sheridan's dad but not really that's rod howard's actual dad <laughs> you know and he's just like one of the he's like an extra basically in the movie he doesn't say anything but um, he's he's always in the background uh i'd say the one thing i didn't care like this movie is very much about the men go off to space and the women stay home and worry and you know like that movie that's uh, re-watching it again i was like uh this movie would be done differently now they would they would present these uh female characters differently than they did in the this 1995 setting so progress um mm-hmm. you know but it was uh, just kind of a different um tone to it you know in that sense so that was where i was sort of like you know what you're saying didn't help it wasn't as good as you remembered it i think mm-hmm. that was maybe part of for me too although but like most of these most of these scenes are easy to watch they're not like it's not slow it's not boring it moves pretty well and i was able to follow sort of along with what was happening at a given moment and you know no, no one's snoozing me really um, snooze me until houston we have a problem and then it's pretty good yeah um so the the film starts off uh in the lavelle house they're all watching the lunar landing of uh you know the famous apollo 11 um and we uh we get to this backyard scene where tom hanks character is looking up at the moon this is actually my favorite scene i felt it set the tone um and it, it sort of gives you a reason to um i don't know really get behind tom hanks character at least for me anyway Oh, when you were on the far side, Onate, I didn't sleep at all. I just vacuumed over and over again. Christopher Columbus and Charles Lindbergh and Neil Armstrong. <laughs> this is back when Christopher Columbus was still celebrated, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if Ron Howard made a movie, modern movie, he would probably still celebrate Christopher Columbus. Well, because they did in the 50s. <laughs> That's the area you want to live in. Like, it's no. not a miracle. Before, before yet, it will be the 2050s. We just decided yeah. to go. Tune up. Apollo 8, we were so close. Ron Howard is 100 years old. <laughs> now? <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, Bryce I, Dallas Howard. I like that line that he says <laughs> where it's like, we just, you know, we just decided to go to the moon. No other reason. That's why we did it, you know. And we I just like, decided. Yeah, we just decided yeah. to go. Um, so, yeah, you know, Tom Hanks is playing uh, astronaut Jim Lavelle, and Kathleen Quinn is playing his life, Marin Lavelle. Um, and uh, soon we're, you know, sent off to the infamous NASA, you know, rocket space station where they're getting all the rockets put together. Uh, we introduced this whole, you know... I can't even put, I have to think right now. Sorry. Um, the whole scene where, where basically budgets telling them, you know, we there may not be another mission. Oh, he's like, I'm slated to be on Apollo 14. He's like, if there's an Apollo 14. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? You know. And there was, actually. Uh, but yeah. uh, I think it ended on 17 or 18. Um, I believe Kevin Bacon's character goes back up on it. One of them. Does. Uh, Gary Sinise does. Uh, oh, he gets, Sinise he goes does. up. Uh, um, yeah, and Kevin Bacon's character dies at the end. Uh, you know, of cancer. Mm-hmm. In real life too. That yeah. happened in real life. Uh, the guy who died. Um, so cool. yes, back in '69 uh, in July, basically where this is all set. Um, while Jim Lavelle is giving a tour uh, to these, you know, you would say financiers or whatever, he gets pulled That's aside. It- and uh, they're like, hey, something happened. And he ends up rushing home to tell 
Marilyn, his wife, that uh, somebody got an ear infection and they can't go up. So he's getting put on as the prime team for Apollo 13 and he's going to get to go to the moon. Which you know he's thrilled about. She has he should have won, but actually it turns out he should have stayed on Apollo fourteen because the, what Ooh. happened to Apollo thirteen would have happened to anybody who flew that that particular ship. Yeah. It was a defect in that particular ship. So this was actually and terrible. A fuel for cell him. or something, right? He would he would have made it to the moon if he had actually stayed on fourteen. Uh, but this but, ends up being. But the but I think this also sort of highlights the fact that if there was any other anyone else commanding thirteen, there's a good chance they would not have made it back. And that oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think that's part of the message of the movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sort of shows the power of these three guys when real, real specifically also uh, Ken Mattingly's uh, who, uh, you know, you got to feel bad for because he gets pulled off because they're like, you got measles, Ken. He's like, I ain't got no measles. He's like, no, you got measles, Ken. You can't go on. We're switching you out for the rookie hotshot. That's going to give us news and coverage because he's, you know, a playboy. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's play. And with then him. Paxton gets sick as shit. Yeah. He practically got the measles. Like, he was sick as all. Well, he, a... he, he got sick because uh, he gets the clap from Kevin Bacon's yeah. game. That's not true. He didn't No, really it is true, actually. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He, that was a joke. He, no, it's, it's true. It's, a, a it's not a joke. It's a real fact. Uh, have in real life? Yeah, it happened in real life because uh, of the, the condom-like apparatus that they had to like keep wearing he didn't get it from the other character but he basically like got a urinary tract infection because of the condom apparatus that you have to wear when you have to from kevin bacon's real life guy yeah not not the the whole like getting the clap isn't true but he did get a urinary tract infection oh Oh, that part but i thought you said oh okay well that's a big distinction (laughs) hey either way his dick hurt at the end of the day okay (laughs) i i knew about his dick hurting but then how the cause is important. It's, so I'm just it's like saying. it hurts when I pee. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also loved how this movie called back to Apollo One and how like those guys died in the fire, which also I didn't know about until I saw this movie. Uh, I know I was only twelve when I saw this, but like it was, uh, you know, it was a lot. Was, I learned a lot in this movie when it came out. Um, mm. They all died in a fire horribly uh, on Apollo mm. One because the door wouldn't open, right? Um, so, so many spaces, and how hard it is to be an astronaut, how difficult, and how much pressure, and like, and how you have to be uh, all these things, right? You know, in order to do it, and you still might die. And like the just the picture of health, like you can't even, you don't even want to sneeze around like the 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 head, the higher ups, because they might just take you right off the freaking mission. Yeah. Right. Mm. Surgeons, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Flight surgeon bullshit is what he said in the scene. I think it was. Yeah, he pull, he pulls Gary Sinise off the mission, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon gets to replace him. Gets the call as he's getting his, and that's the hour. Gary Sinise is like, "I ain't get no measles. I'll never have measles." And you just feel bad for Ken Mattingly's character during that whole scene. Ken um, Mattingly. Well, I mean, yeah, that's you know, that's the character. That's, that's his name. Yeah, Gary Sinise's character is Ken Mattingly. Oh, okay. I thought it was, I thought Ken Mattingly was like a baseball player, like. Mattingly, I told you to shave those sirens. That's Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly, sorry. Forgot. All right, sorry. Um, so yeah, and then you get you know you get cut to the scene where Kevin, where they're they're all in the training module, and Kevin Bacon's just like, I'm taking it to manual, and Gary Sinise gives him this look. He's like, the hell are you doing, manual? What like Bill Paxton? That's Bill Paxton. Yeah, or Bill Paxton. Yeah, Bill Paxton's character. So um, yeah, basically just having a, a good old time of 
trying to figure out the new rookie three weeks to launch, you know, um, as, as everyone's getting prepared for launch, you know, every saying goodbyes and, uh, Marilyn comes by to, I liked that scene. That was a good scene too, where like, you know, they were talking across the, the street here to each other a little yeah. bit. Um, saying goodnight or goodbye before the, the launch. Hello, babe. And hello to little Ursula. Um, so yeah, as the prime crew for Apollo 13, Jim along with Fred Hayes and Kenny Mattingly undergo extensive training. However, the mission <laughs> faces setback. Kenny's replaced with Jack Swaggart due to the concerns about Ken's exposure to the measles. Uh, on the day of the launch, the world watches as Apollo 13 successfully departs for the moon, and the crew's enthusiasm is tempered by the realization that the moon missions are no longer captivating the public's interest. Um, so yeah, you get this whole, like, there's not a lot of people watching the launch, and then they do have the whole launch, and, you know, during the journey, um, they, like, do a little video show and tell, and there's, like, this scene where Buddy's like, yeah, well, you know, they, they said going to the moon's about as exciting as a trip to Philadelphia or something like that. It's just no drama in it. So, you know. Right. Well, they, they could have made this movie about Apollo 11, but they made this movie about Apollo 13 instead, right? Yeah. Was, because well, it is gotta, more drama. You got to have them come back. Yeah, there's way more drama in the story. That's kind of another another <laughs> theme about this movie, too. It's like, well, you wanted drama, did you, people? Here's your drama. It's just like, how was it? Did you look? The, everyone was in danger, almost died. You happy now? Um, you also got to watch people pee in space because yeah, we got that nice. scene. We get to watch Tom Hanks uh, sprinkle the stars with his urine. Um, yeah, and then yeah, it's just that whole fun scene where they like they they think they're being filmed. And they're like, should we tell them? We're like, no, we're not gonna. We'll tell them later. You know? Oh yeah, they think they're on TV. Um, but yeah, the journey's going on. Things are going well. They're they're about you know almost to the moon, uh, and they're told to like balance a tank. Um, and that's when, yeah, the the thing freaks out. They blow up. They lose it. They get a critical oxygen tank failure, um, jeopardizing Clint. the lives of the insurgents. Clint Howard. Yeah, Clint Howard there to break the hard truths. Uh, yeah. Where he's like, we have to abort. He's like, from my seat right now, we have to abort. And yeah. Harris is like, okay, you know, let's he, do it. If we he just walks up to Ed Harris and he goes, Tranya. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he tells them basically we have to turn off the fuel valves. If we do that, they can't turn them back on. Like it's the only way to, you know, make sure what it is because they think it's fuel. They don't realize it's oxygen. They don't know what's going on. They don't have a good look. Um, so that's the moment they're like, we just lost the moon. They shut off the fuel valves. Doesn't work. And then there's, you know, basically solving one problem at a time. Everyone freaks out, and Ed Harris is like, we're gonna deal this one problem at a time. Ken Mattingly is like half paying attention, not quite. Um, Anyway, how big in the public zeitgeist in 1995-96 was the phrase Houston we have a problem Huge. like for it year, was for years after that too, you know. Years. Like, but, and it was um, always misquoted apparently. Um it was Yeah, cuz he doesn't yeah, he doesn't say Houston we have a problem. It's actually he says more words than that. Yeah. yeah. Um it's like Spider-Man how they always get Spider-Man's phrase wrong and it drives me crazy. Right. So yeah, they they start to come to realize, you know, they 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 don't, they've got no fuel. Uh, they also don't have enough power to get home, and there that begins this whole sort of B plot story where there's this engine, this, I guess you could say, electrician type engineer, and he's gonna he starts working with Ken Mattingly to like figure out the most direct, short, 
power source they can get under 20 amps or something so they can have guidance <laughs> when they get back. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's going to be a real hard landing. Um, so there's that whole, like, Ken Mattingly actually has a reason to be behind. And these guys are, are trying to, you know, keep things going as they... He needs, yeah, he needs to get as many vital systems as he can turned on while keeping it under 20 amps. Yeah. 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 I, like, I, I, the movie, I think, does a good job of explaining to you what problems they're specifically trying to solve mm-hmm. and how they're solving it. Like, I think that the mm-hmm. science in the movie is, is you can follow it. It makes sense, and uh, and and you feel like that pressure that they're trying well, of, of of the time about to run out. I really liked this young guy who we're seeing here on a lot of the shots. I can't, mm-hmm. I don't know who played him, but he played like sort of this younger engineer type who's like he has to say to like the big guys, like the guys in charge, mm-hmm. like, "No, we are. This is the reality. We are. We yeah. do not have <laughs> enough power. We have to fix this now, or it, or it's over. Like what we hope will happen won't be enough, right? Like, it's it's so it's act now mm-hmm. or or screw." <laughs> He's like, quit with the Jellico, make it, make get it done. Bullshit. Get it we done. can't get this done. This I'm is, the proto Jellico. He's, like, yeah, he's, like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. There's no getting it done with that. But it's, I like, yeah, but, I love shit like that too. Like I would watch, I would have watched an hour and a half of just when they pour those pieces of the stuff on the table and the guys have to make the filter, just them fiddling with it and putting that filter together. I would watch mm-hmm. that team of engineers try to build a filter out of junk for an hour and a half. That would have been freaking fascinating. So yeah, the film chal- uh, the film explores the challenges faced by the crew who uh, must conserve power and oxygen while adapting to life in the lunar excursion module, the LEM, which wasn't designed for three people. Uh, as they drift around the moon and back toward Earth, they encounter further obstacles, including carbon dioxide buildup in the LEM and dangerous course deviation. Um, so yeah, like you'd mentioned, the, there's the guy that basically like builds like the little box with the the plastic and stuff like that. It's like you guys need to make this, mm-hmm. and this you need to make this now. Um, and they get a and that's another instruction over the call. And that's another like those guys in the the astronauts are really skilled scientists, but they're not necessarily engineers like that. So that's right. another like stipulation. They have to build something that the astronauts can also build. What do they have to yeah. work with? And then we have to go. But they also have to be, have the skill to be able to do it. Like you can't make something so crazy complicated that these half friggin' frozen astronauts can't put it together. You right. Know? And right. they almost can't. They're like, what happens if we ripped a hole in the bag? Because like, they did. They're like, not great. Yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, no, that ruins the whole thing, man. They're like, you're screwed. You got one more, be good with it, right? Um, but yeah, they ended yeah. up getting the, the the carbon dioxide thing and slapped together. So, you know, news is starting to come back to Earth, like things are falling apart. You get this funny little scene with, uh, with Tom Hanks' grandmother, uh, or Jim Lavelle's grandmother, or mother, I should say. Mother, yeah. Uh, where, where they're like, you know, just so you know, there was an explosion in space and he didn't get to make it to the moon. And he's like, but TV guy told me he's going to make it to the moon. And it's like, well, he's not. He's he's He might make it back. We don't know. And she just sort of like gives a sly look. And she's like, if you know my Jimmy, they can make a washing machine fly. He'll land it. <laughs> it's like yeah. all right refrigerator or something like that yeah. um i like that scene um but yeah there's like uh we go back s- a couple slides there yeah. you always know it's a, you always know it's a, uh, one more two more that you always know it's a howard with that red hair uh yeah <laughs> you can spot him is that a howard is that oh a it's howard? gotta be it's gotta be a howard yeah i was thinking that too he looks like richie cunningham to me yeah i was gonna say that that's ron howard 
<laughs> it is Ryan himself. It's, Ron I, mean, it's like his, I think it's like his son or something. Yeah, the guy, other guy there, the guy on the left, is really good. He played a the very doctor. interesting character in uh, Boston Legal. Yeah, he's he the doctor surgeon, in this movie, right? and he's kind of like a, he's kind of like an antagonist almost. Yeah, because mm. he's the guy that called, said Ken Mattingly had measles, or he, had, he was right. He was and then risk. when they take off like their 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 heart monitors, he's like, "What? They're dying, Mattingly." <laughs> <laughs> shave those cybers that's why he didn't get on the mission yeah, didn't save Just, the cybers. Uh, medical mutiny um <laughs> so yeah all, all this sort of stuff's going down and we get these like little news reports i think i like those okay yeah before i get to this scene yeah this we're, we'll just uh, i think we might have technically skipped it but this is what was uh dave's favorite uh, scene in the film uh, well, I tell you, I remember this one time, I'm uh, I'm in a banshee at night in combat condition, so there's no running lights on the carrier. Uh, this is Shangri-La, we were in the Sea of Japan, and my, my radar had jammed, and my homing signal was gone because somebody in Japan was actually using the same frequency, and so it was, it was leading me away from where I was supposed to be. And I'm looking down at a big black ocean, so uh, I flip on my map light, and then suddenly, zap, everything shorts out right there in my cockpit. All my instruments are gone, my lights are gone, and I can't even tell now what my altitude is. Uh, I know I'm running out of fuel, so I'm thinking about uh, about ditching the ocean. And I, I look down there, and then in, in the darkness, there's this, uh, there's this green trail. It's like a long carpet that's just laid out right beneath me, and it was the algae, right? It was that phosphorescent stuff that gets turned up in the wake of a big ship, and it was, it was, it was just leading me home. Now, if my cockpit lights hadn't shorted out, there's no way I'd have ever been able to see that. So, uh, you uh, you never know what what events are going to transpire to get you home. Okay, spacecraft commander Jim Lovell, no stranger to him. Yeah, I really like that scene just because it's mostly for how um, his wife uh, reacts to that. You yeah. know, yeah, you know, her gives her hope. Yeah. yeah, it gives her hope because she's really in despair. And uh, it's this like clip. Yeah, he's telling the story from World War II. And, uh, you know, and Tom Hanks really does it well. You know, he's like, hey, you know, how are you going to find your way home? And because, and, you know, they all expect that they're going to die, you know, in space. And they nearly all did, right? So, yeah, it really emphasized what, you know, the mother had said earlier too, to her too, because she's like, I guess he will, you know, make it home. He's, this isn't his first mm-hmm. time flying in the dark, right? Right. Um, and uh and then he's a great commander like that's a big part of the of the story and i really like that that scene too with like uh the trumpet you know that's in the background like kind of coming mm-hmm. up slowly like mm-hmm. from uh james horner's score it's really um when you asked me a like, scene i was like i think it's that i think that was what i was watching i was like oh mm-hmm. this is a good one i had forgotten yeah. about this and that he's cool under pressure too yeah, yeah. he's just a cool guy um, so yeah, so basically, the Marilyn Lavelle and the families of the astronaut cope with the uncertainty of the mission back on Earth. While Ken Mattingly works digitally in NASA simulator to develop a procedure for bringing the crew home safely, with uh, Ken's guidance, the crew manages a crucial burn to adjust their trajectory. Which here is, I believe, Davin's favorite scene. Uh, that is the one. Yes. Final burn. Is this the re-entry? Oh no, this is... Oh. Yeah, this is where they have to... <laughs> this was crazy. Sure, I forgot about yeah, this. Can't... Oh, this was insane, man. I was like, yes, now this is a movie. 
Like, the fact they this survived is the this. part that felt like Star Trek. Like, this could have been yeah. like Picard trying to get them through a... Yeah, the music, too. Like, because it, it's like James Horner did the score for Wrath of Khan, and you almost feel that yeah. a little bit. Mm. Oh, I was on the edge of my seat during this scene. And I know how it ends, but even still. Because it doesn't look like they're going to get it. They're bouncing all over the place, man. And he's yeah, like, even I when it's like, no, you don't. It's not even in your viewfinder. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. And then the like, last second, it just comes in for a split second. And it's like it's just. Oh, it's nuts. But I love this because it shows the precision that all this needs to be done at it. It's just mind blowing. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. Shut down. Now they're on a trajectory. Yeah. Wow. Love that scene. Yeah. Like, like that looked difficult. <laughs> Right. Like, um, like it took two of them. Like, imagine you're trying to steer this thing, and so is the other guy. Because yeah. he's doing pitch and yaw, and you're doing like whatever the other two are. Like, right. and these man, are the best pilots, like on yeah. Earth at the time, right? So, yeah. Um, Crazy. So yeah. So basically, uh, you know, despite limited power, and multiple hurdles, the crew's teamwork and resourcefulness prevail. They manage to reestablish contact with Mission Control and develop a reentry plan using the Lunar Module, whose power they reserve into the Command Module. Um, basically, through all of Ken Mattingly's like due diligence, you know, making sure this turns on and that turns off. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So basically, uh, these guys, as they approach reentry, there's a moment of tension because they, they, they get detached from the rest of the module. It's just them in the capsule. And they finally get a look at like what happened to the ship. Um, I don't have a screen capture of this, unfortunately. But uh, that's oh yeah, then maybe that's about here. That's how, then they realize how like how lucky they are even to be alive because half the yeah, ship is missing. It was like whoa, we're missing like a whole panel. Like this is this is way worse than we thought it was. Like we thought it maybe was like a little leak in a hole or whatever. But yeah, they they could have exploded and been not in a good spot. Um, so yeah, there's that whole. But they they realize that the heat shield might have been cracked. So now there's the the. The heat shield's been damaged, and they're not sure if the they might not be... survive reentry. Yeah, we'll even successfully reenter. But uh, yeah, you get this, you know, crazy reentry theme. Everyone's like, "Oh no, they're going to be silent for three minutes on reentry." Tensions build. Everybody's watching screens. Everyone thinks they're dead. They're not dead. They landed. They make it back. Um, mm. And conclude the whole film just concludes with like a reflection of the lives of the individuals involved in the mission, including uh, Fred Hayes's unfulfilled mission of Apollo 18, Ked Mattingly's later mission to orbit the moon, and Gene Kranz's retirement, and Jim Lavelle's statement that Apollo 13 was his final space space mission. Um, the whole thing is just a testament to the film, I guess you could say, is a testament to the resilience and determination of NASA, its astronauts, and the team on the ground. Uh, it highlights the extraordinary efforts made to overcome life-threatening challenges in one of the most dramatic missions in space exploration history. And, and it's it's a good staple film that really should be watched by everybody. Like, it's it really, like, there are moments, again... It's October. It's spooky month. There were moments where it's legitimately terrifying to think about, like, what they're doing, why, like, 
and how they're trying to just get back by the skin of their teeth. Like that was a pretty tense film. Um, and the paranoia that you would feel like, if, like at one point, I think it's Kevin Bacon's character. Or is it Bill Paxton's character? He's just like, no, we're, we're dead. And they're just not telling us like we're screwed. Like, yeah, it's Kevin like, Bacon's you, do you think the Houston's lying to them? Cause you would start to think that it's just like, would they tell us if we yeah. were, if we were facing certain death? Like, yeah. That adds. That's a very yeah. They're like movie. they're not telling us how to do the reentry because they don't know and we're gonna die. Exactly. Yeah, and I was exactly. like, what if you what what happens if they wouldn't even find that out? Like, how would they react? You know, it would be kind of yeah. Interesting. Um, Crazy, but the, yeah. you feel the stakes. You always feel the stakes in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, they do a good job with. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, let's. Uh, which performance would you hold up, Dave? I I'm gonna say it's um, Kathleen Quinlan as is as Lavelle's wife. Um, you know, I think she's she's maybe the one of the best. I like even though she, I think because she's not a movie st- like as as big of a movie star as the rest of this cast. Everyone else in this cast is like I think Ed Harris was not as well known at the time, maybe. But you know, uh, he he got an Oscar now for this. His career blew up big after this too. Um, you know, so they're all really good too. Like it's hard to like say Tom Hanks is better than Kevin Bacon for me or Gary Sinise or, um, actually I, I, Gary Sinise and Tom Hanks are definitely on a different level in this movie. So I gotta mm-hmm. recognize that. Um, I don't know that like, there's no one that's poor, you know, I wouldn't say that was bringing anything down. So overall I was like, like a really strong ensemble group as well. Uh, I'll go with the packs. Bill packs. He really looked sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. To, for me, Gary Sinise was a little flat in this one. Actually, I wasn't super big on Gary Sinise's performance. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. I think he was all right. Um, well, he's fine, serviceable, but not not a big standout for me. See, I I was big into Gary Sinise's character because I I felt bad that the mm. guy got clipped from the the whole mission. He didn't get to go to the moon, but he ended up helping them because if he right. wasn't on the ground and he didn't, and he was, if it was anybody else, cause he knew that system inside and out, he knew that team inside and out. Like if he was up there, he wouldn't have had the ability. They wouldn't have had him on the ground. They wouldn't, they wouldn't well, have been like, like no, um, it's Kevin just, Bacon wouldn't have done what he did on the ground. No, no, it's, it's not, it's not even like that. It's like, okay, sure. If he's up there, he might've figured it out, but he wouldn't have had the trial and error or the ability to no, trial yeah. and error because they had such limited power. So him being on the ground allowed him to like go through the repetitions to find the magic combination that now allowed them to save all that power. Right. Which hopefully they move forward and use to continue, you know, stuff like that. The movie, the movie presents it as um, it could only have been Gary Sinise on character on the ground, like because mm-hmm. of, because of this unique set of circumstances, they all got to live. But if yeah. it had been the if it, the original crew, like who knows, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I I was a big fan of of Gary Sinise's Ken Mattingly character because of that little that that was a hook enough for me to be like, okay, I'm cool. I like that. I like where it's going with it. Um, so that's that's my performance that held up. Setting aesthetic, fine, looks good. I mean, they yep. put a ton of money. This is a big Hollywood blockbuster. Mm-hmm. They put all the money into this one. So yeah, it was sometimes it was... a little too pretty. I feel like I think some of the scenes, if they had looked a little grittier in space, it might have been better. Like if we, every time you sh- saw the guys in the the spaceship, it looked like Outland. 
I think I would have enjoyed this movie more. Yeah, like <laughs> to me, I think about the '60s stuff, like on the more on the ground with the families and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the daughter mentioning the break of the Beatles. Um, it's yeah, the daughter just... was a bit much at times. Um, I feel like some of that stuff is a little like eh for me. Like yeah. I, I the stuff in space, I think largely works uh well okay for me i was i was good with it um the, the exterior shots the stuff at houston it could have been grittier it could have been more cigarettes could have been like if, so when I watched, many cigarettes but it oh. could have been they could have dialed that up like at least can, more uh, uh i loved watching the cigarettes i miss those in movies can we hold on for a <laughs> the amount of cigarettes that was in outland was insane. A lot of cigars, cigarettes too. Like yeah. so many cigarettes in Outland. I'm just like, okay, in Apollo 13 on Earth makes sense. They weren't smoking cigarettes in the space capsule, but in Outland, in a pressurized uh, mining ca- facility in, in in you know Jupiter, they're just like smoking up a storm, and I'm like, that can't be good for many. But you reasons. know what is good. Movie morsels for Apollo 13 from 1995. Uh, in the commentary track, Marilyn Lavelle comments that Tom Hanks exactly portrays Jim Lavelle's mannerisms and style of movement. So he was method actor. That's another thing I was going to mention about this movie, actually, not to cut you off your morsels, but it feels like Ron Howard sat down with these actual astronauts and just tried to portray their descriptions of it as accurately as possible, but that's not necessarily the best way to make an entertaining movie. I mean, I'm sure it was all very accurate and respectful to the astronauts, but like it seemed could have inserted a little drama that didn't happen. From from what I, whatever. Yeah. From what I was reading, there was a lot of hands-on from people of NASA and the astronauts. Um, and, And there was a scene where like, uh, Jim was like, we didn't argue like that. In like, there's this one scene where like Kevin Bacon and 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 uh, you know Bill Paxton are arguing, and you know Jim's like, we didn't argue like that. And then Ron Howard, he's like, well, I can only show sweaty forehead so many times before it gets boring. I need to add a little mm. drama to this. And, he, and then buddy's like, okay, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, so there was a bit of creative flexibility in these portrayals. Yeah, I'm okay with that. You know, for uh, it's a movie. Um. Mm. Uh, so we'll continue on. So in some scenes where the Earth can be seen from the window of Apollo 13, it is one of the photos taken by Jim Lavelle and Bill Anders on the Apollo 8 mission. Um, hmm. The cast and crew flew between 612 parabolic arcs in NASA's KC-135 airplane, nicknamed the Vomit Comet. Uh, each arc hmm. produced 20 seconds of weightlessness, and all of these flights were completed in 13 days. The actual KC-135 used uh, NASA serial number N930NA was decommissioned in 1995 after 22 years of service and placed on display 2000 at Ellington Field. Um, Bill Paxton, Tom Hanks, and Kevin Bacon were all very proud of the fact that they weren't sick on the so-called Vomit Comet, the plane used to stimulate zero gravity. The cameramen weren't so lucky. Um... After Swaggart admits having forgotten to file his tax return, Clint Howard, who has had tax problems in real life, 
improvised line where he says, that's no joke. They'll jump on him. It was one of my favorite lines in the film, too. That's like something our brother throws in. Yeah. Um, Jim Lavelle wore his old Navy captain's uniform in the scene where he greets the astronauts aboard the USS Iwo Jima. When Ron Howard asked Lavelle if he'd like to be in the film as the ship's admiral, Lavelle agreed but pointed out, I retired as a captain, a captain I will be. That's right. Once you go admiral, you go evil. Like, you know, everyone knows that. Or at least somewhat, uh, or at least somewhat corrupt. The line that Jim Lavelle asked his crewmates, gentlemen, what are your intentions? Mine are to go home. Need some context. While Lavelle actually said this, is, this, it seems slightly forced and out of place. This is because when he said it on the mission, they were just coming out of from the far side of the moon and had a critical engine burn coming up since it was jack swagger and fred hayes's first mission they were taking pictures instead of preparing for the burn that's why lavelle said the line adding if we don't get home you won't be able to have your pictures developed that would have been something to leave in the movie that would have been more interesting i wish he i wish that line was left in the movie I, i do too um According to Ed Harris, his portrayal of Gene Kranz's reaction to the astronaut's astronaut's survival, almost overcome with emotion, was inspired by a documentary interview of the actual Gene. While describing his feelings as the astronauts made it back, even even significantly after the fact, he started to break down. God, I had a hard time laughing. Speaking of breaking down. I know, right? Yeah. I'm falling apart here, just like the Apollo 13 mission. Uh, cinematography, Dean Country, edited by Daniel 13. P. Hanley uh, and Mike Hill. Music by James Horner. Release date, June 30th, 1995, with a runtime of 140 minutes. A budget of $52 million. Who wants to take a guess at the box office? It was like... Uh, $300 million. Yeah, like around there, like... Four hundred million? Three hundred and fifty five point two million. So you both were ah, two off. No, we're all we split the difference. Um yeah, like that's that's a big hit. That's bigger than uh, Outland was. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. Much they so. had a big movie star in uh, Sean Connery, but it didn't matter. Everybody they didn't have space. ten movie stars. They didn't have ten movie like stars. Apollo thirteen. We only have a budget for one in this movie. Yeah. All right, well, rewatchability i mean i've seen this movie more than once but it's kind of boring it's it's spots and i don't know that i'll ever look to watch this movie again i don't know if without this podcast i'd have watched this movie again yeah i'm kind of on the same page with you like it's not like i uh need to see this again although i appreciate this movie and i think it's uh you know it's it it was a, a good uh movie for its time i think it's worth seeing at least once you know there's nothing wrong with this movie um but uh it's not like i wouldn't i wouldn't want to be on a desert island with only this island or the only this movie for the rest of my life over and over again mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. you know a couple th- here and there it's good you know and it's 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 one of these like made uh, real stories true story kind of things and it's fine mm-hmm. it's good I would rewatch this movie if it was an opportunity to show it to the youth and ensure that they've watched it so they know the knowledge. Uh, otherwise, I can't say I'm going to go out of my way to rewatch this for leisure's sake. This is like the second or 
second time I've watched this, admittedly, um, and I haven't felt the urge to watch it since. I remember most of it um, because it is it is a significant film uh, with the imagery and the history about it. Like it's one of those films from back in the '90s that I remember the most. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a mixed bag for rewatchability. Yeah. Does it hold up? Yes. Yeah. Like yeah, but I feel like it should have been better. <laughs> it yeah, holds up, yes. but it could have been so much better. It's so it, annoying. Yeah, I, I'm not giving it like flying colors, but it's fine. No. It's completely serviceable and yeah. it's a good movie. It, yeah. Just leaves me wanting. Yeah, it's 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 an incredibly important film. It was just directed by Ron Howard would makes yeah. it a kind of bland film. If this was and acted by Tom it, Hanks, which makes it kind of a bland film. I, I think it could have been. I, a, I, I agree Hanks. with you. Like there was maybe a, a better movie that was possible for sure. Like a different, a different director, a different cast, whatever. You know, you I don't could... think even different cast, same cast, different director. Yeah, I think maybe a different director might have done it. Like there were some really good shots. There was some like cool cinematic. Like there were some scenes. I was like, that's pretty cool. But overall, it was, you know, a Ron Howard film in the sense of just like, it's super well polished. And it, it looks at things with a bit of like nostalgia. There's a nostalgia view of that time era that you mm-hmm. just, you get with Ron Howard. And because of that, it's like, eh. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it could be better. It could be better. Well, let's move right along to Theater 3 then, fellas. Oh boy. We Let's have Ad Astra from 2019, starring Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Nega, who I enjoy in everything that she's in, mm-hmm. and Liv Tyler, directed by James Gray. Liv Tyler's like, oh, okay. Barely thoughts on this one. one. Okay. Yeah, Liv Tyler's just in like flashbacks where you just see her face. I don't think she even says anything. You know, it took me a while to pick up that it was her. Like I was like, "Oh, it's Liv Tyler." You know, I, I gotta say, like, there's a certain actors that can touch a movie and turn it into gold, and others that can touch a movie and turn it to poison. Tommy Lee Jones is in a lot of bad movies, and like that could have been good, and then they just cast Tommy Lee Jones, and it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm not a big big on Tommy Lee Jones. He's sort of just the same in everything. He's not likable. Like, I don't know. I think Brad Pitt was more my issue with this movie. I thought he me was too. Boring. He was I boring. Thought, yeah, he was just boring me. I'm like, he's just like this really reserved, calm. His, his the only thing with his character is he's like, Get my heartbeat burgers. never goes above sixty or my or whatever. Yeah, I'm like, I know, I could tell. I would be surprised, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> neither does uh, mine. Yeah, yeah. It's about the job. I'm a lone soldier, and you get that sort of with the leaving girlfriend stuff. like this movie looks amazing in a lot of times like there's some great scenes like the falls and and like there's some space stuff in it that looks great but like uh i'll predict how much Devin liked that after it was boring and slow Um, well jody i'll have you know that wasn't my biggest problems with this movie though both of those things are generally true my biggest problem with this movie is I was excited about it at first because I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a movie about like the Drake equation and the Fermi paradox. Like, where are the where is the alien life? And like, that's going to be the deep ex- exploration here. But no, it's no. just a movie about a guy and his daddy issues. Yeah, they decided to put in space. And instead of daddy moving to Chicago, because it's the Chicago way, daddy moves <laughs> to Neptune. I like, been it didn't this movie didn't need to be in space at all. 
it being in space mm-hmm. didn't add anything after the first like 20 minutes when it they sort of look like oh maybe this is how to make a bad fermi paradox drake equation movie and make it nothing about those things like i don't know that's what bothered me about this movie yeah it just got worse and worse as it went okay i guess i was the only one that really liked this film you liked it yeah i liked this oh wow i was having i was having a decent time with it i mean some like brad pitt's performance wasn't the best uh i will admit um but i kind of liked the premise i liked the setting i liked the uh sort of real aspect uh that it took to like space travel and stuff also the fact i liked how they like uh basically turned the moon into like a a mall you know like an airport and and it was all like commodified and stuff like that i like that sort of exploration of the probable the more probable future you know like it was like we watched one film that was like the like man getting its shit together when it comes to space exploration and then we watched two films about like the most probable outcome of human society if we were to get into space exploration is to commodify and mind resource <laughs> like that's so, what outland showed better. yeah that's what i'm this saying this movie like, was silly and like ruins those things because it's like like to, to what they did to go to neptune to try to like get past this like I forget what they call it, but it's well, like, they didn't uh, go to Neptune. They were they were intending to go past Neptune. It's just yeah, that exactly. The crew went crazy, and Tommy Lee Jones went even crazier, and is like, "No, we're gonna keep going." He went all Ahab, but on but the entire and... idea is silly. Like you send a probe for that or a telescope. Like you don't send this crew past Neptune just to go like look through a telescope. You just send the telescope. It's like, because doing... I think. Well, I think it's because it was like some sort of um it ha. wasn't it wasn't a <laughs> ship that was it was powered by fuel it was a ship that was powered with like solar and like, didn't have any matter renewable, no it had like renewable energy but yeah it was like antimatter or something like that so they needed a crew to monitor it as they got out farther so it was it was probably a like to see if there was any technology and b to sort of potentially work on antimatter engines too you know well, we saw that, yeah, like whatever Tommy Lee Jones's ship nearly destroyed all life on Earth because he went off the deep end. Like this movie is kind of about like I feel like I've seen this movie somewhere before. I don't know what movie it is, but this the, it was the a cre- better version, whatever a better version, like some kind of old samurai story or something. Like where this old like uh, veteran warrior who's the father, you know, his legendary, but there's a dark past. Uh, like you know, like in Hot Shots Part Two, how they keep making fun of that. Like you know, it's kind of like my dad was in the war and he did all these yeah. things, and you know, and he keeps chasing that. Um, you know, and that's what this felt like. But Brad Pitt is like fifty something in this movie, and I just like I don't know if he would like. I guess I was also he's so much older than. And... It's Star Wars. Tommy Lee Jones is Darth Vader, and yeah. Brad Pitt is Luke Skywalker. That's where you've seen this movie. But he's like a boring Luke Skywalker and a yeah, boring, and a boring Darth, Darth, Vader. Darth Vader. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That's why it's uh, not a very entertaining movie. Even my but my favorite thing about the movie was how how it looked. I think the cinematography and the special effects yeah. were all really good, strong. Yeah. And there's there's a kind of a story here, but like but you know like. <laughs> 
Like after he the story doesn't match what we see. It's like what he gets that entire kill crew killed right when he's trying on Mars. He gets onto the ship and they accidentally all get killed. And then he's like, "Well, I guess history will have to judge me on my action." I'm like, "Oh, if he (laughs) does survive this, there's no way he's getting away with that." And at the end of the movie, he's just drinking a coffee. And I was like, "I guess that none of those that it didn't matter that they all died." And nothing in this movie mattered. It was just the writer director wanted to work out his daddy issues. And he's able to open up at the end and get back with his wife. That's also like the message of the movie at the end. But like, it was like, I didn't care about that. Like either. It was just like, because it was hard to, I I was having a hard time caring about the Brad Pitt character in general. Um, Mm. Like just connecting. Or the Tommy Lee Jones character or anything really. I liked like at the end, like in the in the end of the like, like Davin's like, uh, you know, what's your favorite scene? I was like, the only scene I kind of liked is when Tommy Jones was like, I never, I thought I always thought your brother and, and you were stupid, small minded, and I never cared about you. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> is that what you picked as your favorite scene? And, and Brad Pitt's just like, I know. And it's just like <laughs> he's like, I still love you, Dad. He's like, like all right, yeah, whatever, you know. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah, shit. Uh, like this is the <laughs> like, it's like so you have seen like, you know, I never loved your mother. It's like one yeah. of those drunk dads. I'm glad I watched these movies in reverse order because this movie made me so depressed about space travel and NASA yeah. and that kind of stuff. Whereas Apollo 13 is all like hopeful and triumphant and more Star Trekky. This is more like dystopian, I guess. And so it was um, just out there. That's why I'm here. I'm going to stop it. Get the two of us back home, maybe. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This is home. This is a one-way voyage, my son. You talking about Earth? There was never anything for me there. I never cared about you or your mother or any of your small ideas. For 30 years, I've been breathing this air, eating this food, enduring these hardships. And I never once thought about home. I know, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) I know, Dad. That sums up the movie, more or less. Why did you come all the way out here to get the guy? Like, they. uh... I don't have a lot more to say about this movie, to be honest. (laughs) I think I said my piece. Well, like, who's the the one you liked in the middle? Um, Ruth Nega. Ruth Nega, she's good. Because her parents were killed by Tommy Lee Jones, uh, in you know. Yeah. And... Well, that's what I was saying. Like, okay, so Brad Pitt's like his whole thing is very monotone, and most of the time he's on screen, I really don't give two flying fucks about his character up until the moment he starts acting with other characters that have way more charisma and just like life in them than his character does like even though like the the commander that's supposed to follow him but like well you know let's just watch the trailer and we'll break this down a bit i guess because we we got like well out of ourselves (laughs) what are you thinking about i do what i do because of my dad i go where i want to go he was a hero this is even in the life from the pursuit of knowledge. <laughs> Control, you getting that over? 
This was a very amazing scene. Yeah. That's what I picked as my favorite scene. The movie got bad after this movie. Yeah, the opening of the film. Yeah. It's crazy was, out there. But she's there now. This wasn't in the movie either. Crashes. They're calling it the search. Major. We have yeah, some the... highly classified information. Wave, no. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. I worry about you. I love you. Please begin your psychological evaluation. As best you can, please describe your current mental and emotional state. I'm feeling good. Ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I like how he, he has... Uh... Therapy with AI to the lawful completion of the mission. If necessary, I will destroy the project in its entirety. That scene was cool. The the, the Earth puts hopes in his space race, yeah. the, the chase scene on the moon. Right, uh, rovers. He's on me. We have a job to do. Are you ready? I'm ready. This this trailer is a lie. It's a dirty lie, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I forgot that, Nova Scotia's own Donald Sutherland was in this movie. Yeah, well, this movie could have been so much better, but I feel like the director or the editor or the end or team made this movie way more melancholy, way more boring, because there's a whole bunch of stuff they showed mm -hmm. in that trailer that's not in the final film that like that would have made this a little more set up. And I think that they chose to focus on Brad Pitt's character as isolation, as loneliness, as sort of introspective, as cold. A lot of the stuff with the wife clearly was cut. You know, only we mm -hmm. get like these weird flashes and things in the actual final film. Um, I was like, there I was a... they must have cut like 80% of Liv Tyler's stuff. I feel like she act got paid to do a lot more. Yeah. Than was actually yeah, it's almost like the ghost of Liv Tyler is in this movie instead. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's Donald Sutherland's character, I thought was also sort of too short in the movie. Like, and like, I don't feel like his impact was strong enough. Like, they talk no. about his dad, but it doesn't really resonate. Yeah. Resonate. Yeah. He's like, in like two scenes. And, and I don't, and I, I, I'm just not feeling it. Like, Donald Sutherland even out acts Brad Pitt in it. Not that that's that exceptional, but it's like, it's well, Donald Sutherland can out act a lot of people. Yeah, he's hey, no Scotia. Yeah, the, there was like there was ebbs and flow with this movie. It was like it was interesting up until Donald Sutherland left, and then it was kind of boring up until Ruth Nega came in, and then it was interesting again, and then it was kind of boring again after that like whole little soiree because he's having the other thing too. Uh, when I was when I was watching him, and he's in the in the booth with the radio microphone. And I was like, so he went all the way to the other side of Mars to basically send a voice message. Could they not have just sent a voice message from Earth to Mars to wherever? Did they? Could they not to... have just sent a probe? 
to wherever instead yeah. of people. Like but everything like, in this movie's a plot hole. They needed to find out, and if he and like they're like, if he responds or if he doesn't respond, then we're gonna blow it up. It's like mm. okay, but if he does respond, then we've got the thing we want. We we're gonna bring him back. Was like that the whole thing about it? And it's just uh, that wasn't even the stuff I wasn't even understand. Like that wasn't my hangout. My hangout was for like that sequence you're right on the moon where they had the chase sequence was kind of cool to look at. But I was like, who are these people? Why are they chasing each other? Why are they fighting? I know it's kind of explained in dialogue, but I just didn't, I wasn't invested in it. So therefore, it's just like this thing that Brad Pitt has to survive, I guess, in this long journey to get to his dad. It's just one of the many like thing, like things he has to go through, right? This, this film was a year of living dangerously in space. Could have it, it needed it didn't I think feel I like, like this a little better than a year of living dangerously. It needed it needed more like excitement. It needed a better star. It needed a better, I think, uh actor in the lead role. Yeah. Uh, and I like Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Like I usually have in my it, he has been really strong in some movies. Not this one. I don't know. I find like, Brad Pitt is as good as the role he's given. He can't elevate a role, but if he's given a great role, like in Fight Club, he can do it and nail it. But like I don't think he brings a lot of extra to like. Like if he, if his character had a little bit more energy or attitude, but like it's not written like that. It's written like this boring, melancholy man who wants mm-hmm. to put you to sleep. It's, well, that's looking at sad people for an hour and a half. In the near future, time of both hope and conflict, humanity looks for the stars, for intelligent life, and the promise of progress. That's um, what hit my scene now. <laughs> So yeah, at Astros in the near future, Major Roy McBride, played by Brad Pitt, uh, learns that mysterious power surges are threatening human life in the solar system. Yeah, you get this open. Basically, he he's a he's a he's a space antenna technician because it just seems like he's you know working on a space antenna. Uh, things start going weird. There's a big flash. The power surges, and he starts jumping down to cut the power off. I don't know exactly if that's helped or not, but it blows him off the tower. He he, yeah. he jumps off. It, yeah, he jumps yeah. off. It helps everyone below him. Yeah. And I'm watching this, and I, eventually I figured out he had a parachute. But, yeah, yeah. I think that's all of them, especially if they're working like low at Control like the bride. He basically does a halo jump, which is pretty sick. Real fast, yeah. Trying to keep the tumble down. Tumble so I don't black out. Gotta keep my heart rate low. My Asperger's is saving me. Control, do you re? It's hell of a fall. It is. Like he goes from outer. It's a. It's basically a halo drop, right? High altitude, low oxygen. Sometimes it'd be like the Star Trek uh, when they have to, you know, the 2009 one, the JJ, they jump yeah. off onto the platform. And then the red, then the red suit gets sucked into the like mining beam. Right. Now he's just skydiving more conventionally at this point. And, yeah, because uh, he's got atmosphere to steer, as he's mentioned earlier. He's like, it's the atmosphere is too thin, can't steer. He pulled this parachute too soon. Way too soon. Yeah, way too soon. I I thought that too. Yeah, he basically, you know, he survives that. So emphasized that he's a cold, hard man and he can't get his heart rate up even if he were to drop him from a building and he falls to earth. Uh, Barely crashes, you know, makes it back alive. They pull him in. Um, 
you know, that's when Liv Taylor's waiting Another for Another Star Trek nod, though. It's like they were building a maglev carriage, like in Star Trek Voyager, or like mm. a, a tether. Yeah, t- the yeah. tether elevator, like, a, yeah, yeah exactly. I think they're, they're trying to build those things currently. Well, um, there's, we have no material strong enough to build one currently. It's more pie in the sky at the moment. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, basically he's informed that uh, these these surges originate from the Lima Project, a space mission led by his father, H. Clifford McBride, played by Tommy Lee Jones, uh, sent to search for intelligent life beyond the solar system, but disappeared 16 years ago. I thought this guy was Fred Armisen, but it's not Fred Armisen. Yeah, it's not <laughs> Let me Fred do Armisen, for a second. But yeah, I thought it was like, <laughs> it would have been a wild casting. Um, so yeah, Roy's tasked with uh, reaching Mars and establishing communication with his father, who might still be alive. Um, and he sort of has to deal with that realization that his father, who's been gone for 16 years, might still be alive. Then Donald Sutherland's introduced to Colonel as Colonel Pruitt, uh, and he's to help uh, Roy embark on this mission. But, you know, things kind of go aware. 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 Is that? No. Awry. Awry. That, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Awry. Um, this is uh, this actually should have been probably my favorite scene now that I think about it was these the the scene that holds up is just these guys riding on moon rover rover landers and they're like there's pirates on the moon and then there's no but there's just no further explanation you know they're they're like getting shot at with guns and stuff and uh, I guess I didn't get screenshots but yeah like I I I, 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 that's why same thing I I think there could have been more to this like I was just like it looked cool yeah it looked cool it was really well presented um you know not since moon since i've watched a a well presented moon rover action scene and all this stuff um yeah really cool scene they eventually get out of the chaos uh with no further explanation about moon pirates which i wish there was more of that um and then it turns out Prout uh, is basically having a heart attack because everything was too crazy and before he gets carted off Probably because Donald, Donald Sutherland was like, I'm not acting through all of this movie. Here, take the secret information. Uh, you, you know, if you need to hear about how your father uh, has basically gone rogue and uh, we're going to probably nuke him. So um, he ends up, uh, Roy ends up catching his next flight with uh, uh, this crew, which is played with like, did I catch their names? Oh, I didn't catch the names. Okay. Anyway, oh, I, there's I like don't Captain Tanner and the other two guys. They were there's like the, the there's like the the captain who dies, right? Yeah, know? he dies pretty yeah. he dies pretty quick because they they go to respond to this like uh, distress signal and they're like, oh man, what's going on? And they they go this again. This gave this gave like spooky horror themes. I don't know about you guys, but like I enjoyed this. I'm like, this is kind of on on point. Oh, with the whole the whole the 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 ape. That they find, yeah. Well, like, just like they're like you know crawling through the corridors trying to find it. They got their little heartbeat monitors, and yeah, he finds like the babu just like chewing on the captain's face, and you get like that crazy scene where it's like the captain's dead, like that. I yeah. I thought that was wild. I stuff. thought we were gonna get to something interesting with that. I was like maybe the ape went crazy, like Tommy Lee Jones went crazy, but no, not really. Or Tommy Lee Jones turned into an ape or something. Like my brain was going all over the <laughs> sure. place. Sure, that, that would have been entertaining. It was just cheap. It was like there was just everything was just cheap and meaningless in this movie. Nothing tied back to anything else. It was just, yeah, there was no like oh ho, that's well cool. Written, there, well written. there was never an aha moment at all. It was just kind of mm. like you know, um, the movie starts and then the, it ends. 
so yeah, these guys end up, you know, they the the captain's dead. They end up making it the to Mars, but Roy has to, you know, uh, take control of the ship manually because the co-captain apparently doesn't know how to straighten out a ship. So Roy takes control of it, and they like land on Mars, and uh, that's when we get introduced to Ruth Inega's character, who's been living on this colony all of her life. Um, and he gets brought to the Year of Living Dangerously audio room where he makes his radio broadcast to Dad. And they spend a couple days. He reads the the government script that they hand him, but it doesn't quite work. And then one day he just decides to give it, you know, the old heartfelt message. And that must have triggered something. They were like, hey, you were taking you away from this mission. Either one of two things happened. They're like, he's too emotionally close, which is what they said. Yes. And they took him it away. It is the truth. Or there was a response and they're like. No. You know, but, but Tommy Lee Jones, never saw but he, did, once. he did get he the message, did. right? Like Tommy he Lee Jones got the message. Yeah, but he, but he didn't respond. respond to but his he never son. Responded. He wouldn't give a shit. Right. So, <laughs> so they were just like, "Yeah, we're just gonna nuke this thing. Screw it." Um, and that's when Ruth flower room very pretty. Yeah, the 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 what are the comfort rooms like they were called? Green. Yeah, it was like very soil and green. Yeah. Um, she basically reveals that you know the nukes are are gonna they've got ships filled with nukes and they're going to go take it out. Uh, and she basically gives him, you know, the, the, the route to get onto the, the, the ship. And I, I was a little pulled out of the film with this whole scene. I'm like, okay, so she takes him to a river. He proceeds to go underwater with his suit and like hand climb this very convenient cable all the way under to the underside of a rocket that is like minutes from going off. And then we're supposed to believe he's going to scale a ladder in the side of the rocket before it launches off. And Correct. he does that's that. That's what they want us. That's what they want us to believe. Yes. Um, and, and then he gets them all killed in the next couple. Of minutes. Yeah. And he's like, Hey guys, I'm just here to infiltrate the ship. I don't mean to be, it's like, he's, <laughs> you've broken seals and you're like, as we're breaking atmosphere, man, like, what are you doing? He's like, I mean, you know, harm and like, they're getting the like, neutralize them by any means sort of order and that's yeah. when like yeah the, the gunfire happens the, the woman gets her face smashed crash and... into the window like that was a pretty cool scene you know she goes to shoot him but the launch and the the, the the like the the inertia kills her and then he gets in a knife fight but the other guy comes out and he takes a shot and he hits a poisonous gas canister and fills the place with too much. I think it was just an oxygen canister and he just filled it with too much oxygen and that's what killed everybody. And the other guy gets like shot by accident or something, right? Or... No, no. So the guy gets, he gets into a knife fight. He stabs the dude with the leg. The other guy comes with the gun, shoots the oh. canister and the, and the air fills up and it poisons everybody. And he tries and he, to save him with the mask. And, yeah, and, he, and, and yeah, he just, yeah. He's just dead. And then that's he, when he's like, well, I guess it's up to history to judge me. I didn't mean to do it, but they died by accident. How did he not get charged after? How was he drinking coffee <laughs> in that diner at the end? Please tell me. Like, um, and then, yeah, we proceed to get this 79 movie feels like mission. an episode of Star Trek Discovery. That's what it is. <laughs> Not a very good one. Um, so yeah, you know, you get the scene where he's he's getting a, a feed injection put into his stomach. I don't know why he just doesn't eat normally. Um, and yeah, this whole like sort of mental breakdown scene. This was the scene that stood out for me. This is my choice. Of your moral boundaries, I have total clarity, and I know for certain. I'm on my way to Neptune. Zero G in the extended duration of the journey is affecting me. 
both physically and mentally. I'm alone. Something I always believed I preferred. I'm alone. Gene, why did Hal yes. come out? <laughs> it's wearing on me. Okay, so I, I, the reason why I picked that scene, I felt like it resonated with me. Just this whole, like, exasperated exploration of being a person that's alone. You know, he's always just delved himself into work and trying to, like, proceed forward with whatever his mission is. Um, and it's always made him a person that's alone. And now he's stuck in this very long space journey to basically Neptune, which takes, like, 80 days and he's just stuck in zero gravity. There's no gravity simulation. He's just stuck in zero gravity for 80 days. And the mind warp effect that that applies to the human psyche. I enjoyed that exploration part of this film. That was a big up for me. Um, so yeah. I, I, I didn't think it, like, they could have done more, I think. They, they could have they, they could have done more. They could have explored it. I guess they, they were. Like they, they mentioned just, the Fermi they, paradox. Yeah. They mentioned the Drake equation. They don't explore anything in this. Yeah. Other than daddy issues, yeah, it's too. It's like it marred by daddy issues. The the voiceovers from Brad Pitt, and I don't know. Like, yeah, I think we're all feeling the same thing. They're like, why didn't you make a better movie? Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, after being launched, you know, he basically makes it all the way to Neptune. Uh, gets onto the the was it the the Lima project discovers there's still dead bodies these bodies have just been like perfectly preserved for 16 years <laughs> just, floating there. just floating around and then there's like this one old timey song just like playing on loop he says that that's one thing they bonded over when he was a kid was musicals and movies mm -hmm. and stuff right um so yeah uh roy where am i so yeah he, he he's he's setting up the nuke and that's when you know daddy warbucks comes out to let him know that i never cared about you as we saw in the scene yeah. earlier this is this is dave's favorite scene um and he basically uh, his father explains the power surges are caused by the ship's malfunctioning antimatter power source um and despite his father's pleas roy arms the payload and attempts to return with clifford however clifford you know, he seems like he's going along with it. He's like, the things we could have done if it was me and you. It's like, well, I guess you should have stayed around and raised your son and then explored. But, you know, you had to go find intelligent life in space. You're so determined. Um, and as they're about Which to get... Which he didn't do. Yeah, as he failed at. But... Yeah, he failed at hard. Um, as they're getting back for what, you know, he decides to go, screw it. I'm launching myself in space. And he hits the jets and starts, like, you know, getting this sort of cut the rope tug of war cliche even though they're not hanging off a cliff they're in the middle of zero g space you know let me go let me go daddy issues and he lets his daddy go to yeah it's, uh, the dad had son issues too yeah it like. it's like um, i'm i'm letting you go get your milk and cigarettes off in the cold deep cold grass yeah space. I was just like all that just for him to do that and then whatever. And, and then he, you know. <laughs> I know, right? See it. Yeah, it, right? It's Peace. A right? A it was a, like, a what was the whole point? You should have just let the nuke go out there on its own. But the, and Why now, didn't he just launch a missile? He would have got more done. You know? yeah, Why didn't they exactly. just send a probe to Neptune in the first place? This whole movie is so unnecessary. And, and, but, and if it wasn't, if it didn't get unnecessary enough, after having a moment of realization of what's the point... Well, the point's human connection and a be back home. If there's no voice, which, you know, his dad's like, I need to find the answer. He's like, well, you did find the answer. There is no, there's nobody out here. You found that answer. It's just us. So let's 
go mm-hmm. home and figure this out. Uh, his dad goes flying off, throws him off trajectory. So he goes back and takes off this panel from the ship, which is covering like a solar panel or something, and then proceeds to just like use the centrifugal force of this thing to launch himself through the the rings of Neptune and he uses the shield to keep himself blocked. And I'm watching this and I'm like, it seemed a bit yeah, far-fetched. Right. This seemed I a little. I don't think that's how that would work at all, sir. I think that so there's the momentum a... of the things hitting your shield would stop you and send yeah. you in the other direction. There was, yeah. I think, a lot of ways that it was not plausible. It didn't seem like like, like it was like a one in a, a billion chance you were going to hit the ship, you know. And but at this uh, point, we've jumped the the plausibility shark, if you will. He ends up making it back to his his, his ship. Um, he gets inside and he's like, "I'm going to use the nuclear explosion to propel me all the way back to Earth." And he does. Yeah, ride that wave, baby. He rides that fucking nuclear explosion all rides the way the back to, to Earth. All the way back to Earth. No trajectory needed. No course correction. No, no just lands just the whole time. It seems like he <laughs> yes. was unconscious the whole time. He he just. How, how woke long did up. the trip take? It, apparently, it's like eighty days from Mars days. to Ju- to Neptune. It was no. eighty days. No, from oh, Mars to Neptune, it was eighty yeah. days. So yeah. you probably get to add another thirty days from Mars to Earth. So no, Mars to Earth was like eight hours or something to them. It was like nothing. Oh, okay. So okay, but I mean, it, that's if it they was... have propulsion. He's no, running it was eight the wave. Days. Of... It was eight days. Okay, so then so. 90 days we'll say it took him 90 mm. days to get from neptune back to earth on the how do you live for 90 days without any water or was this suit giving him stuff or something Astra. <laughs> just 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 hibernation human hibernation it'll it'll shock you i feel like they just did the star trek timey-wimey skip a few scenes get to the no, no 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 don't you be smirch star trek with this movie i'm, you just I'm sorry watch your mouth like, out with star- soap Okay, Star Trek has the like, inactable ability to be like, all right, go do that thing. And then the next scene, they're like, I've done the thing, which should have taken them like two weeks. So there's time jumping that happens. And I think they did obviously that with the end bit where he's like... Yeah, but it's assumed of- Starfleet officers eat up when they're off duty. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. Anyway. He was there- asleep for 90 days? Like, what? I don't think he was asleep for 90 days. I think he probably like worked it out i don't know i think they just skipped that but it, they just made it seem like as he was getting to earth he was basically passed out and he woke up at, on re-entry i don't know it, it was well yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a well put together ending and that's what made this film soccer. the ending was like my least favorite well part of the movie. movie i was like this is your ending like and then he's drinking the coffee yeah he returns to earth realizing that humans are like the only intelligent life in the universe uh, this realization fosters a desire to reconnect with his loved ones, offering newfound optimism as he seemingly reconciles with his life and his wife. And he's like, I'm good. It's a very I- strong possibility that we're the first ones. Like, I understood the message of Tommy Lee Jones, who who was so obsessed with finding other life in, his, in, in space and not Earth that he couldn't see... Uh, his own son and family and the tragedy that that kind of presents. And there's almost a good something there and that Brad Pitt's going to be different. He's going to learn to look back to earth, but I don't even think he had his father's issues to begin with. It's like Tommy Lee Jones cares so much about life and finding life, but doesn't give a care about people's lives. But Brad Pitt didn't care about any (laughs) of that. I don't think it was about life. It was about finding intelligent life, which is like, that's a stretch. 
So Brad Pitt was already not his father. So it didn't, it didn't, mm -hmm. he didn't need to have this journey to figure mm -hmm. that out, you know? Um, so I unnecessary. Think, I don't feel like he's changed by this encounter at all, you know? Like, so. Which performance would you hold up? I'm going with Liv Tyler. Fantastic <laughs> job. Fantastic job, Liv. Undersung. All right, you, Murphy. Um, Ruth Nega or Donald Sutherland? Yeah, they they're the two best. The, I was joking. They had the. They job. both had about uh, the same equal amount of screen time. Um, I'm gonna give it to Ruth Nega because it. It. I guess anytime she's on screen, it's just like fire, and she eats it up, and I love her. So, I'll give it to Bridgewater's own Donald Sutherland then. Dave. It's, Pains me to say it, but I'm going to say Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, he was, he sold it. He sold his part. He came in, did his part, sold it well. I he felt was like, like the, he was deranged. He was like this bastard that was just like, yeah. you know. Yeah, Tommy, he played Tommy Lee Jones. He played himself. Like he was kind of, bastard. He was kind of fitting for the role. So I, I think like, yeah, he was, I was like, all right. Yeah. He played the villain well, I guess. So, but yeah. not really. Um, I feel like the writer director the was the villain of this movie. Anyway, setting, uh, setting aesthetic, it looked fine. It was that, gorgeous. That film. fall scene's pretty crazy. The fall scene's great. The stuff in space is great. I, I, I really appreciate like uh, that the, the backdrop of the final seat, like act with like Neptune. I think it looks amazing. It's not a planet we get to see in movies a lot, you know, and it's dark, which yeah, it should be because it's so far from the sun. Like you can see Neptune, but you can barely see Neptune. Yeah, I like that a lot. As soon as that Me came too. on screen, I pointed that out to Tiffany. I'm like, look, it's dark. They paid attention to that, but they paid so much attention to that, and then like nothing else in this. Right? Movie. They were like, "What if we just like you'll be sense. like you'll be looking at the screen going, whoa, you know?" And yeah. I guess if you're watching this in a theater, maybe it, like that would hit you a little harder. You don't even care that the movie's pointless. Uh, but I got I got a question. Yeah. <laughs> I got a question during that scene in the Neptune. Do you think it made it would have made the movie better or worse if that scene when he's like looking in the light and it's a you assume it's the sun that he sees. Um, but that light actually turns out to be a ship and it becomes very deus ex machina and it's like the alien ship that they were trying to contact the whole time. Anything would have made this movie better. Anything. Maybe, yeah. That would have been more of an interesting ending. It would have been mm -hmm. a way more interesting if that was just like, the ship's there and then they like pull them on and then they yeah. edit it there. I really wonder if there was a different ending and they rewrote it to this other thing we got. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious if that would come up in yeah. the morsels. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of which... Let's do it. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, did you? Gotcha. Did not. Got him. Got him. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, movie morsels for Ad Astra 2019. Uh, unlike several contemporary films where CGI is used to depict the spacecraft and the vast space, director James Gray decided to use practical effects like models and props for the spacecraft exterior shots. Works for also, Star Trek. Also, instead of using CGI for planets, he decided to use still images to portray the surface of the planets. The same technique was used in 2001, A Space Odyssey from 1968. And we didn't talk about that on Apollo 13, but I think they were, those were practical models they were using, right? And like special yeah. things, um, yeah. not yeah. CGI. 
Yeah, there was practical models and images as well. Just that, just that stuff alone makes a lot of movies better. But compared, mm-hmm. cause now the computer generated stuff is just so generic to me. But, There's no you know, depth it, or texture. It's lifeless. Yeah. It's yeah. lifeless, and it sucks you out of the movie and destroys your soul. At least it does for me. Yeah, it's <laughs> not the same. It's not as good. We're, no. we're the old men, Ace. Um, Clifford yeah. McBride says that he has cataracts and has trouble seeing. Cataracts are one of the projected health problems linked to uh, exposure to solar radiation during an extended period in space. Um, When Roy reviews the top secret message given to him by Colonel Pruitt, the file name is shown as 6EQUJ5. Astronomy fans will immediately recognize this as the character string representing the so-called wow signal. I was about to say that. Heard via radio telescope listening the direction of the constellation Sagittarius in 1977, which was never explained. The real-life wow signal, which was similar to what... Would, what might be expected from an intelligent extraterrestrial source has never been explained and has never been heard again. It, it was a blip. It was like it was a it was like a solar flare or something. It was just a little blip. Yeah. Um, during a 2019 interview on National Public Radio's Morning Edition, director and co-writer James Gray explained that the eerie sound that plays in a loop over the opening shots of the movie was actually an altered and sped up recording of Clifford McBride saying, I love you, my son, repeatedly. Gray explained, we wanted it to be almost unconscious. It almost sounds like an ultrasound from an unborn baby. It's very weird. Um, it did, I wasn't like subliminally affected. Yeah. yeah. Um, the proposed engine used by Roy's craft to reach Neptune is a theoretical electric propulsion engine. This explains how the craft is able to travel to Neptune without the need for fuel as the fuel is provided by solar arrays. Um Similar to his character in Space Cowboys 2000, Tommy Lee Jones' character faces his own death as a lone astronaut in outer space. Um, Space Cowboys would have been a better pick. Was Donald Sutherland in that too? I think he was. I think he was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is the second major science fiction film to feature the planet Neptune prominently after Event Horizon in 1997. Oh, yeah, Event Horizon. Also a better movie. Mm. Yep. Uh, after Roy's debriefing, he narrates his father's story as he's seen walking down a corridor decorated with NASA astronaut portraits and biographies. His father, H. Clifford McBride's biography, which lists his birth date as September 25th, 2031, and the Project Lima date as December 28th, 2079, is set alongside other real NASA astronauts, which include Buzz Aldrin, the second man to walk on the moon, Bruce McCandles II, the first astronaut to fly a manned maneuvering unit, Eileen Collins, the first female shuttle commander, Macy Jemison, Winston Scott, and Scott Kelly. Me, Jemison was also on Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, cinematography by Hyatt Van Hyatima, Hoyt Van Hyatima. H-A-Y-T-E-M-A. Edited by John A- Axelard, uh, Lee Hahn, and music by Max Richter. Release date, September 20th, 2019. Running time of 124 minutes. A budget of 80 to $100 million estimated with a box office of $135.4 million. Oh, big money loser. 
Eh, not money loser, just enough to cover the cost of. But that, none of the marketing. Advertising. None of the marketing. That, so that was yeah. so they lost money on this. This is they like, lost a lot of money. If you adjust for inflation, which is the bigger bomb, Outlander or this, uh, or Outlands or not Outlander. Outland is definitely the oh. biggest bomb that only made like a million dollars at best, if it did at all. Yeah, but it made this lost. Well, no, this the budget for this was tops a hundred million. This box office was one hundred and thirty-five point four million, so it made thirty-five point four million. But that's that before would... marketing. Okay, which is double. So double. it lost. They both lost. So, but I guess it, technically this was a, a, a smaller failure, depending yeah. on how much millions Maybe. they spent. Uh, Maybe. All right. Well, which dollars. which performance? No, we did that already. We did that. All right. We watch. We watch ability. And uh, no, 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 definitely no, not. I didn't. No. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, maybe again, like with Outland, if I want to like use it as reference imagery, I might like scan through it to get some shots, but I don't think I'd watch this film again. There was just the ending was so bad. The whole thing was bad. Um, Does it hold up? No. It is a bad concept to even turn into a movie. Could have been some, it could have been something if they had, could have been something, had a story. About the Fermi paradox in the Drake equation. You know what? I think there was um, I think there was a Tom Cruise movie called Oblivion, which I think I wanted to pick, and I think I had had conceivably mixed these two, like I like I, I think I think they came out at the same time, so I it was always confused as to which one was which. Um, maybe I should have picked that Tom Cruise one. It could have been better than this. I don't know. Um, but I went with this one because it- I felt like it it suited the the theme of what we were going with uh, yeah it feels more grounded it feel it doesn't feel like it's a science fiction movie right but it feels like it's meant to be a, a futuristic space movie these two movies are out of this world <laughs> so are you jeff mater iceland come on that's hardly even this planet yeah it's north pole yeah north pole. um so does it hold up murphy no, sadly it doesn't. Um, you know, I don't pick them all. I, not every film I got to pick on here is going to be winners. Um, nah. You know, so uh, yeah, sometimes this, we do get some stinkers. Start off season two with uh, another bad movie, I guess. I mean, really, like this may have been the most boring three movie combo of this show yet. Um, they weren't. Like they didn't really stand out to me, and the one that was the best one, Apollo thirteen, is still kind of boring. So yeah, like, I guess that is a good question. Then Davin, what? How would you rank these three movies? It is a good question, but here's here's our list. There we have a an an A, a B, and a C tonight. A, a B, and a C. Yeah. Um... Uh, for me, it's uh, it's Apollo thirteen, Outland, Ad Astra. Same. Yeah, it's almost um, undeniable. It's almost undeniably. It's almost like by default you have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would have to say, yeah, Apollo thirteen, Outland, Ad Astra. Like I was liking Ad Astra, and then the end of it just really ruined the film for me. I was like, ah. And Outland had a bad story. ending too. But yeah, Outland had Ad a Astra bad had ending. an even worse ending. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, like Outland was just like, wait, there was no justice served, but it was like an appropriate ending. Uh, this one was just like okay. I mean, 
Where was the? There was no purpose. There was just. It's. There was no purpose. You know. I think so. Outland. I think I could have liked Outland more with some changes if they had. Um, if it was like almost more. Like if they rebooted Outland almost today, and you somehow got Sean Connery from that time, you could have almost the same cast. I think that I would have liked that movie a lot more. But just it just it because it's 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 kind of weighed down by its 1981. Yeah, like Outland uh, it needs small changes and it would save the whole story and it would be great. Right. And those small changes are like maybe one or two things. That yeah. Astra is just like there's so much setup for no actual explanation and and there's it it was just it it was a it was the biggest empty space nothing burger of a film that uh we've watched. Yeah. And Apollo 13, like, I think we were all like, it was all, it was fine, It, but it could have been so much better in retrospect. We could have got a better movie, you know? So it's almost like it, disappointment, right? Like, it's almost a... Uh, it's a product of its time. It's very 95. It's very Ron yeah, Howard. Very Ron it's, Howard. It's yeah. very uh, historical drama, biopic type film. Um, yeah. It's not much Oscars. you can... Yeah, it's very... Uh, give us Oscar. Oscar, we, uh, we get Oscar. It's like, nah, you get nods. Yeah. Hey, did you guys know that we are part of a united federation of podcasts? Excellent I sure did. segue, Davin. But a federation, <laughs> you say? Yeah, uh, we are. We have where we have uh, X-rated the X-Men animated review show. We're almost done. One episode left to season five. Then we'll is move it like on a to finale? X-Men. Is there yeah, actually X-rated. like a finale to the to the X-Men cartoon, or is it? Yeah, just like graduation the- day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So they, they finale just, slash, and they're picking up the new series from there. Yeah. They don't really end it. It's like a cliffhanger, isn't it? Because well, that show got canceled during that time, didn't no, it? No, no, they knew. No, they knew that. Oh, I was meaning to mention. It's definitely an end of a series episode. One day, Davin, we should look back at gargoyles. Andre, Andre, and I have been talking about that. That might be in the. I in would. The works. I I watched that recently. That was actually when I got Disney Plus. That was the first thing. I binge watch was gargoyles. Yeah, I have it on like DVD too. Like the first Jeff Mater says, Ron Howard didn't know we are part of a United Federation. <laughs> he didn't know. So well, now he does because he's probably watching tonight. It's the lady in the water. Um, and my <laughs> co-host Andre has the Graphic Histories podcast. He has an interview coming up with uh, Stephen E. Gordon. So check that out, animator director of things like uh, Lord of the Rings and other things. Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, that is. Um, and there's of course Super Mater Brothers. They are brothers. Yes, we're on. Uh, they were on tonight. I wasn't with them, um, but uh, they were covering Survivor season uh, forty-five, episode three. You know, in fact, there were no Mater Brothers. We are brothers. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was uh, Jeff. Jeff was on tonight. He was back from Iceland. Oh, so so oh, I was like, Jeff, I need you to go on there with Foster tonight to talk Survivor. And we're also covering Big Brother right now. What about Son of Mater? Son of Mater, Eamon Mater, uh, is going to be doing another album review on Eamon On Track this Saturday with my wife's uncle, Gary Krakalovich, talking about the dark side of the moon, fitting in with our space theme here, hmm. guys, uh, tonight, uh, the Pink Floyd album. Know. And I'll, I'll be joining in to uh, you know, uh, talk about it, although I'm not a Pink Floyd fan, so we'll see how this goes. Hmm. Yeah, Hello. you know, we were all 16 once. Uh, and of course, there's trivia debates. I just hosted uh, a, a spooky one with uh, Jamil Mortis Media and Jessica Chan, and I'm hosting another spooky one in a couple so of nice. days. So nice, you're doing it twice. Yep, 
Well, I love Halloween. It's the trick it's and really the treat young, of Mark trivial DeVoe debates. And Yannick Reveaux, Renault. Yannick Renault. That's it. DeVoe and Renault. Um, yeah, yeah. And of course, there's a Hellbound podcast with Alex Blackburn, Will, Michael Chan, Will. and all our various. No, I said Will. Yeah, look out for on Live Long and Podcast. Uh, yeah. It's Monday, talking Star Trek Enterprise, uh, the Eno Mirror Darkly, the two-parter, as we continue our Enterprise rewatch. And tomorrow, we're going to be talking Lower Decks. Lower Decks, Badgies is back, guys. <laughs> you Badgies more. Few badges more. Get ready. Too Too many. I I, listen. This is either going to be the episode where you guys are going to be proven right, and it turns out the big bad villain is the the three computer bots, or -hmm. the two computer bots, or Mm -hmm. I'm going to be proven Mm -hmm. right, and it's all a swerve. It's all a swerve. It's all been stupid badgy. It's It's all been an army of friggin' badgies. Maybe badgy's been trying to save the day the whole time, and we didn't realize it. Oh my god. (laughs) Also. In our science division, we got a debate nine coming up in a couple days. Who Dave's am I going gonna against? Be participating. You're going against Adam. And who? And Trekkie Bree. Trekkie. Do from I know Trek Trekkie Bree? From Trek She's Culture. From Trek Culture. Trek Culture? Yeah. yeah. We got a connection wow. with Trek Culture. She's going to come in and play games with us. And mm-hmm. oh, I, better, I, better, I better get organized here. All right. Yeah. I thought I just had to right. you know, take down Adam. Yeah. Now you're representing the command division. Adam's representing the science division. All right. Tricky Breeze, an outsider. Yeah, representing the representing culture the Trek culture. Trek <laughs> the Trek culture division. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all of our podcasts. And uh, well, this is where we uh, have a final take. And my final take on these uh, movies tonight, fellas, is these movies were not about space, but they were about, as Jellico would say, getting it done now done. We, we have two extremes here we have a, a man in outland who felt he got the job done when really his job had, had he just started to make the job necessary by what he did he's just like you just created a situation that made your job necessary buddy you didn't um, he didn't get the job done but he thought he did now on the other extreme tommy lee jones did get the job done but didn't think he did so decided i'm going to keep doing the job yeah. So both of those people aren't great examples of getting the job done. Now, how you get the job done is how they did it in Apollo 13. You know, life throws you some lemons, you turn it into lemonade. Mm-hmm. That's how you get the job done. And that's what these movies were about. Get it take, done. Take it down one problem at a time. And that mm-hmm. problem today is that this episode is over. It was a good time mm-hmm. here exploring space with you, Dave Mater. Thank you so much for joining us, as always. Thank you. Um, Thanks. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, no. Davin, thank you uh, for always See you being in season three. Being the captain and commander of uh, you know <laughs> this this little hold up movie podcast. So uh, as always, Thanks for all your work behind the scenes, Murphy. Yeah. Thank I, you, I Murphy. Do, I do my best. I do my best. We're gonna we're gonna see where it goes from here. So we'll yeah. see you guys in the next episode. We'll leave you with some coming attractions. And as always, enjoy the movies. John Carpenter's The Fog. It's going to get spooky on the next episode. Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday.
Actually, you know what? These, I haven't watched these movies yet, and I don't. Want, I love ghost movies, and I don't want these trailers to ruin these for me. I'm talking out now, fellas. Later, buddy. <laughs> they ain't coming attractions for me. Come what is spoilers? You haven't seen Thirteen Ghosts. You must have seen Thirteen. Ghosts. I haven't seen any of these movies. I don't, I don't know. But I don't think I've seen Ghosts. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen any of these. Oh man! All right, I'm okay. out of here. Who's on this episode with you? So next Michael episode, Chan. yeah, we're getting Michael Chan from the Hellbound uh, oh, podcast. Yeah. He's gonna come talk spooky ghosts with us. Where we're gonna be watching the fog. And uh, Thirteen Ghosts and Devil's Back. No, Jane. These are all Jane's kind of movies. The fog. Antonio Bay has a curse on it. I think space and ghosts are apropos what themes for October. Yeah, they are. Yeah. The, who's that? I think I'll go to Vancouver now. I'll go to Vancouver. Where's the fog now? Well, it should be right outside my door now. Oh, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door. Someone listen to me. Get inside and lock your doors. This is going to be a good segue for the following episode. It's going to be about radios. There's something in the fog. There's something, something in the in fog. The fog. <laughs> I like the trailer. I love watching these trailers, then watching the movie, and then watching the trailer to be like, did they explain, like, just... You know, explain the whole movie in the trailer. Did they? Pretty much. So, like, everything? you know, by the time the end of this, you'll want to see it because we got you so invested in the story. From the creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John. Who is Jamie Lee Curtis? Janet Lee as Kathy Williams and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. Wait, is Janet Lee Jamie Lee Curtis's mother? I think so. Yeah. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you. Midnight and one. The fog. I kind of want to see that now. Uh, there are ghosts around us all the time. I can't believe Davin's never seen this movie. Oh, I've seen this movie. 13 Ghosts? Yeah, this is like yeah. one of my all-time favorite ghost movies. I forgot about this movie. It's actually one of my few, like, I'm not a big horror film I fan, so this is, but this is one of the few Cyrus films I love, actually. It's got Shaggy from, uh, Tony Shalhoub and Matthew Lillard. I distinctly remember going to see this in theaters. Is it Jessica Alba? No. Is that Jessica Alba? No. I think it's one of the other Jessicas. Beale. Isn't it? Beale, yeah. No, is it? No. Actually, maybe neither of them. Actually, I need to look that up. I know. I'm dreaming. Oh, your uncle was quite a collector of many things. Shannon Elizabeth. That's who it is. From Celebrity Big Brother. What and American Pie and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, James Allen Bob. Six people. You're wasting your time. Oh, it's man. I don't know if Davin will like this movie or not. He will not. This is my prediction. He probably won't. Yeah. It's a little. I think this is a little too MTV for him. Yes. The CGI is going to... Just drive them nuts, probably. This movie is very a product of its time. <laughs> yeah. 
Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, right, this is like one of his first American movies, wasn't it? Uh, it was f not his first American. I think it was one of his like early f Spanish films. You know, uh, this is his, is his ghost story. It's called Devil's Backbone. There was one of two trailers I could get. I got this one, which is Spanish, or one that just plays creepy music because they don't use any dialogue. <laughs> yeah, starving. Look at how they eat. Coming down. Un sentimiento suspendido en el tiempo. Ghost has seen. Llegó con la bomba. Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting little get together. Is this whole movie in Spanish? Yeah, I think so. The Devil's Backbone. El Espinzio del Diablo. It sounds better in Spanish. 